We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Notre fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Friday, Vince, so that means it's mailbag time. And that means it's a Friday free-for-all, which means oh. our listeners and subscribers and Notre Dame fans can ask whatever Notre Dame football, uh, whatever Notre Dame recruiting, or college football in general, questions that they want. So yeah. uh, that's what we're going to be discussing today. There's a lot going on. The transfer rule got passed yesterday, which I think is a terribly stupid rule. Uh, which is kind of par for the course for the NCAA. It's official. Visits are back. Yeah. Starting June 1st, visits are back. So we're actually going to be having this is a crazy notion. Prospective college football players are actually going to be able to visit the schools that they want to spend the next four years of their lives, you know, kind Amazing. of formative years of their lives. So, uh, and of course, we're jam packed through spring ball. Notre Dame is now <clears> nine <throat> practices in through the spring. Uh, and uh, just a lot going on, Vince. So let's let's dive right in. There may be a time. I apologize in advance. Uh, there may be a time I have to may kind of dip out for about two minutes. My wife is going to be out of town this weekend, so I may need to say goodbye to her, depending on what time she gets by. And today is my dad's birthday, and he wow. listens. So I want to wish him a happy 66th birthday. So my dad is a loyal listener. So half of our uh, our downloads every month for the podcast are probably my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so but okay. let's Vince let's get things rolling man let's dive right in we're gonna have a lot going on we already had about 10 12 comments at least before we even started at once so man we are so fired up that you guys are fired up about this it makes it so much more fun to do knowing yeah, that you guys are all with you guys and gals are all with us and ready to rock and roll so Vince Michael right. Collins is uh is leading us off again this week and he's bringing the heat uh right. Brian and it might hurt our friendship but that's okay so 
Brian, it's you, Eric, and Vince in a college football video game tournament. Who wins and which year's Notre Dame team do you pick to play with? Sorry, couldn't resist since you already took down BK. Yeah, he's referring to last week when we were talking about If I can't beat a 60-year-old in an NCAA game, then what am I doing here? You know, I, I'm just saying. I mean, I got, I got to, right. I got to, I got to take down Coach Kelly in the NCAA game. I would absolutely smash Vince with all due respect. I love you, Vince, whoa, but you'd whoa, get smashed. Whoa! Uh, and Eric, I don't need. Was Eric even old enough to play NCAA I, before it got taken down? That's a I'm really sure. solid question. I'd have um, to ask I, him. I spent a good chunk of my formative years playing NCAA, and uh, there was a game called College Football's National Championship that I played religiously when i was a kid and uh i those are the only games i played were like football mm-hmm. baseball you know the the actual sporting type games right i think it would be a pretty good battle between you and me I, it I'm would be saying. really close until kickoff and then after kickoff i would oh, run away with it the trash talking no i real. mean warm-ups and everything would be really close really competitive okay. similar uniforms but then afterwards so what I, team are you going to use i'd probably go with the 05 notre dame team That's what but, i was but, gonna say but honestly you know the teams i was really money with was some of those 08 09 teams with jimmy clausen and and uh because the offense was so nasty i could just score on you and yes the defense was garbage but i mean i could just, just i could run up the score it's video game well, i could pick about you apart with jimmy clausen but the team that i really liked playing with and i probably should admit this is i was really really good with that texas team back when they had vince young yeah i could have some fun with that one there you but go. uh but honestly the way that i normally played is i'd normally you know i'd pick a notre dame team and just kind of build it i liked playing i i uh, actually did more recruiting stuff than i actually yes. did playing the, the most recruiting playing the i did part. when i was coaching you know we'd have tournaments with my players and stuff like that but when i was just playing at home normally i didn't even really play that many games i would just play like the title game but then I would simulate the whole year so I could recruit. And yeah. I just, that's what I always like to do. The recruiting. But was I fun. like to build teams too. Like, yep. Or I would take a team like just some garbage team like yep. you know, SMU and then do like the you know legacy thing where you could then get hired and promoted to other jobs. That's the kind of stuff I like to do. But Me too. That's if I was part, to go yeah. to go with Notre Dame, I would go with the I'd probably the 05 team would be one of my one of my favorites if I could go with it. But so what um, you're saying is we need to have a game between you and me. And we can put it up there, and everybody can watch me kick your butt. I mean, if you think if you want to be embarrassed that way, we could try saying that's something we need to think um, about. Hey, you know what's funny? Actually, is uh, speaking of this, the NFL or um, last time I played video games, I haven't played it in a while, but they had like this game called NFL GM, and you can actually you're just a GM. Yeah, you can play it, but like you're a GM. That was probably I I got sick one time, and my wife went and bought that for me because I was. It's about oh gosh, it's been about seven eight years ago now. And I got sick and I was like, I just wasn't going anywhere. And so my wife bought me this game to play. And uh, I was pretty fun too. Cause I, yeah. I always dug kind of the simulation, the legacy, you know, the, you could play sure. like, the, oh, I'm with you, you know, do all the recruiting and build yourself and you get offered jobs. You can turn jobs down and all that kind of stuff. That was the fun part for me, which I shouldn't agree. be a shocker for anyone that, that knows me. You know, <laughs> I, I, my dad likes to joke that I never dreamed of, Growing up, to wanting to be a, pl- a professional player, I always dreamed I wanted to be a coach. That was always what I wanted to do. So, anyway, so yeah, good question, Michael. And yeah, and, um, that's fun. Yeah, th- th- that's a good way to start. All right, so let's jump into this thing. Jared Voigt, I'm going to say his, is how you say his last name. Whatever happened to Jaden Gould? Seemed as the uh, as though a month ago he was being talked about as a guy who could potentially commit in the spring. Now it appears as though he's not even being recruited. 
Well, I think with Jaden, there's a couple things there. Uh, number one is there's some other factors that are kind of in this recruitment that don't have to do with him as a football player or necessarily a character thing either. I don't want it to come across that way, but there's some there's some red flags that could make it say, you know, is that really the direction that we want to go? I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is, is they're really looking for cover players in this class, not necessarily the big corners. They have a lot of the bigger corners, you know, Ryan Barnes and Philip Riley last year. They were looking for guys that are more just cover players, more a little bit more versatility from a coverage standpoint, so outside boundary slot, whereas Gould is a boundary potential safety kind of guy. So I think those two factors – went into it. And I just think there's some other guys that they like better. Obviously, Kamari Rogers, where, you know, things aren't looking great with Kamari Rogers right now. Jaden Mickey was a guy that they really liked. You know, Ben Morrison's a guy they're pushing for, Jair Brown. So I think there's just some other players they like better because of not necessarily that they don't like Jaden as a player, because they do, but when you take some of those other factors that that sure. kind of said, hey, you know, maybe we should check, do a little bit more digging first, combine that with the fact that he just isn't as good as he is. And I like Jaden Gould a lot but I understand where they're coming from because they're just looking for a different type of player. They have guys like Jaden Gould. They don't have, you know, as many guys like, you know, Kamar Rogers or even Jaden Mickey or, or um, uh, Ben Morrison. All right. Dylan has a question basically about the defensive line. He, he pretty much, uh, this is almost like a, a podcast long uh, answer probably but the current, current roster of Notre Dame defensive linemen etc cetera, etc cetera. he wants to know kind of who's lining up at what spot and what would a three-man front look like compared to a four-man front from a personnel standpoint I yeah so summarized there so let's uh can you keep that up Vince, oh, so I we can. can kind of go through those names so Foskey is a viper uh are you talking about I wouldn't that's I would imagine that's, that's Nana, Nana Ostafa Mensa yeah yeah um Ansa just kind of bringing those two together makes it make sense just kind of you know contract them a little bit uh he's a big end Justin Adamiola is a big end. Jason Adamiola is a three-technique defensive tackle. You can call it any way you want it. Riley Mills is a three-technique. Jordan Batelho is a viper. And then uh, Myron Tungvaloa Amosa is also a big end. So that's how those guys would fit together. Kurt Heinish is a nose tackle. Howard Cross is a nose tackle. Uh, Aiden Kiana Ana is a nose tackle. Riley uh, Gaber Rubio is a three-technique. These are some of the guys you haven't, you haven't, we haven't mentioned yet. <clears throat> Now, as far as what it would look like in a three-man versus four-man, four-man, well, yeah, the four-man is is going to be what it was. You're going right. to have the Viper on the weak side, probably on the same side as the three technique. But they do uh, from breaking down Cincinnati's film. This may not be true at Notre Dame. You know, he may adjust, but they did as much. They did a lot more mix between over and under fronts. Uh, what that means is in Notre Dame's defense, they were almost exclusively an under front under Clark Lee, meaning the three technique was on the same side is the viper more often than not and then they would have the nose sort of the field and then the big end and then you'd have like the rover the mic and the and the buck behind it i saw them doing a lot more under front or over fronts which means the three technique is to the field the nose is to the boundary which means the nose and the viper would be on the same side so we'll see how that looks from there but for the most part the overall structure of the front four is going to look the same the viper is going to be a boundary player the big end is going to be to the field more often than not and that's why we use big end more they call it a big end but also 
I used to call it a strong side end, but Notre Dame doesn't really do strong side weak side anymore. Uh, Vince, we've talked about this. It's right. it's more of a because it could the the big end could be to the weak side depend because it's going to be based on field boundary, not right. necessarily yep. formation strength. Right. The re, the strong side end came from a it was a formation strength thing. So if you put the strength of your formation into the boundary back in the day, you then would put your big end or your strong side end into the boundary because it was going to go to the strong side. The theory back then was you kind of when tight ends were more prominent and tight ends were more, you know, the bigger blockers, you wanted to have that bigger end lined up to where the tight end was. A lot of times is kind of the, the theory behind right. it. Right. Now, when the three down, so here's here's why we say it's gonna vary. So let's go with it in a traditional three, three, five alignment. Okay. So this is what they did a lot of at Cincinnati, just a traditional three, three, five. And what we mean by that traditional three, three, five is three, three, five personnel, meaning three down linemen three linebackers, five DBs. Right. So what that's going to look like is you're essentially going to have two five techniques, although they'll move around, they'll line up in four eyes. Five technique is basically it's the, the outside ends. shoulder of the tackle. Yeah, oh, yeah right. Okay. Uh, a four eye is you're lining up on the inside shoulder of the tackle. And then in that case, you'd have some guys walked up off the edge. It's kind of a reduced look to get extra guys off of the edge. But in just a, a typical look, if we're just going to say like a base three down look, You'd have a nose tackle, which would be that Kurt Heinisch, um, Howard Cross, Aiden Kiana on a player. Then you'd have your big – the way that Cincinnati did it, they'd have the big end would actually be into the boundary in those situations because then he could he could reduce inside and play the three technique and they'd walk a backer up off of the edge. And then the vi their Viper, which is Makai Sanders – I. M I forget how to pronounce his name, but number 21, they're real good pass rusher. He would actually then be a field guy in a lot of times in their three down looks. So that is sort of their traditional. Then they have three linebackers, two safeties, a could be a corner or a safety is that third guy. And then the two outside corners, that's the alignment. What I, I think we could see a lot at Notre Dame and what we've seen in the practices is a three, three look out of three, four personnel. What that means is, or excuse me, out of four, um, four, two, five personnel. What that means is instead of bringing in a third linebacker, what we're seeing on film is they simply take the Viper, whether it's mm -hmm. Foskey or Batelho, and he is off the ball as that third linebacker. Right now, we've also seen a little bit of them doing a, a, a three, three personnel. So there's four, two personnel, then three, three personnel, and then you could even do three, four personnel. In certain looks, but that four-two personnel, or actually, it's if if you we want to be technical, it's really four-three personnel. If you want to count Jack Kaiser as a linebacker, yeah, because he's playing the linebacker. rover, correct? Right. And so in those looks, you're seeing because we're seeing it with Isaiah Foskey, we're seeing it with Batelho, we're seeing it with Devin Upau, where they're actually taking that Viper and they're taking him off the ball. Now, what I like about that Vince is they're not using him as a a traditional linebacker. He's not lining up in a stack and he's reading and flowing, but they're using that guy to attack. And what that does is means you're not just going to always know where Isaiah Foskey's coming from. He can obviously line up on the edge, but then the very next series, he can line up in a stack formation and, and blitz on the inside or right. do all types of different things. And I think that gives some versatility to what they do. So Dylan, that is, yeah, you're right, Vince. We could do a whole show on that, but that <laughs> is a, ba a basic. I mean, again, this is, this is, Three three five one zero one. There's a lot more to it, but from a base where you know, kind of how things would start at the very beginning, that's what it would look like. And then he's kind of got a little bit of a follow up. I'll throw it up here. Could you see Fosco and, Pat and Patello sharing snaps in a similar way to Hayes and Fosky did last year? Yeah, they're both going to play. 
And, yeah. and, and the other thing is I think we're going to see some of them on the field together mm-hmm. from a little bit of what we've seen, but also some things that I've heard. Uh, when you get into some nickel packages, you're going to see both of those guys on the field together. And, and this is where Jordan Batelho can, can recruiting him can be a really big advantage because what you have at Notre Dame was he was a Mike linebacker a lot of times in high school. I mean, he's a guy that I felt could play Mike linebacker in certain right. defenses. I really like what he brings to the table athletically and just really can project to multiple spots. And so that gives you a lot more flexibility with Jordan Patelho and how you're, you're going to use him, where you're going to line him up. And it gives you opportunities against pass heavy teams. So I don't be shocked if we see Patelho and sure. Isaiah Foskey on the field together when they play USC, for example. So we're going to see them play together more than we saw Dalen Hayes and Isaiah Foskey play together. Although we did see that at times last sure. year. But you're gonna you're gonna see a lot more of that in certain against certain teams, and when they're playing more of a base defense, Vince, we'll see more of them in a rotation. And and I do believe you're gonna see a good amount of Botelho this year, just because a Marcus Freeman likes to rotate, Mike Elston likes to rotate. Right. That's yeah. a good combination. But I also think there's a lot of teams on the schedule this year that are gonna be pushing the tempo, and because of that, you're gonna see them try to do more. Right. Series to series rotations as opposed to in series rotations. Makes sense. Just so I can explain what that means. When you play tempo teams, a lot of times, Vince, you know this as an offensive guy. If they're really pushing the tempo, it's harder for you, you to sub. rotate during That's the whole point. During, I mean, right. well, not the whole point. That's one of the points of going fast is that the defense doesn't have the chance right. to sub. Now, good defensive teams will say if the if the guy is tackled on our sideline, we're subbing. Immediate sub. And they you were have they've to done told, that in the past. Right. Notre right. Dame has done that in the past. Correct. Now the other, so that's an in that is an in series exchange, a, a in series substitution. Right. What a, what a lot of teams will do against tempo teams is they will do substitutions from series to series to make sure that they don't get caught with right. You know, Kurt Heinisch playing twenty straight plays because they didn't sub from series to, from you know between series. And then if you can get those you know, your starters back on or your second team back on during the series, then you have a plan for that. But that is that is what we'll we'll see a lot of that this year. So Sean has kind of an open ended question. So you can take this whichever direction you want to go, uh, Brian. But he says, "What are some things you're hearing from sources that haven't been discussed at length, or are apparent in the videos that we've seen?" And I he's obviously referring to the three yeah. minute snippets that we get from every practice. Right. Well, I, I think we've. Can you leave those up, Vince? I, so I yeah, can yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of have those as we go. Uh, Sean, first of all, I think a lot of the stuff that we've heard, I've talked about, you know, and that's kind of what I try to do with y'all is, is when I hear stuff, we bring it, we talk about it. Yeah. Uh, some of the things that I'm hearing that uh, maybe aren't being talked about a lot is there is legitimate competition at the Mike linebacker position because Drew White has been banged up. That's part of it. But even if Drew White was healthy, there was a there was going to be competition there. And that's going to happen when you bring in a first year coach. Good. Uh, everything is going to is going to be start. But Bo Bauer, from what I'm told, has played very well. Uh, he is really thriving. Some of the things I'm hearing behind the scenes is Shane Simon is not just flashing in the highlights, but Shane Simon is having a very good spring just in general. And, and right now he is, from what I'm told by at least one source, is that he has been the most impressive Buck linebacker or Will linebacker that Notre Dame has. So, do not be surprised if if Shane Simon is is sticking around and and doing maybe a little better than than he did last year, which is a big part of it. So, that's going to be a big part of 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 what we see. Some other things. Riley Mills uh, is an interesting guy. Uh, he is a guy that um, 
got off to a little bit of a slow start to the spring, but what I'm told has really come on, really come on in the last week or two and is in really making plays. And they are, they had hoped that the three technique would, they had hoped that Jason Adam and Riley Mills would play well enough this spring to make them feel comfortable leaving Myron Tungvaloa to on the field at, as a big end. And so far they are, they haven't only met the standard, they've surpassed it. Jason Adamiola has been, from what I'm told by a couple sources, has been Notre Dame's best defensive lineman so far through spring. And uh, and Riley Mills is coming along. Justin Adamiola is playing. He's always had a chip on his shoulder. It's even bigger now. Uh, he's having a really good spring to the point where the, the staff is, is working to say, okay, we've got all these guys that can ball. Howard Cross is having a great spring, which Brian Kelly talked about, uh, Mike Elson talked about. So we're going to see a very, very deep rotation there. Offensively, I think I've mentioned this before, but I keep hearing that they're going to play a lot of receivers this year. It's not just going to be your starters. And and part of that is because they don't have those big guys that they can just throw out there every snap. But part of it is because there's a lot of different guys making plays. A lot of encouragement from what Brayden Lindsey's doing. Lawrence Keyes is killing people this spring from what I'm told Uh, Xavier Watts is is playing really well. A lot of guys are really stepping up. uh, And, and so there's some encouragement there. And I'm also told that, that I'm, I'm, I was surprised by this, but don't be surprised if both, if both Rocco Spindler and Blake Fisher are, are getting legitimate playing time this year is that it's partly because they're just not thrilled with what they've seen so far, but also because those two guys are having really good springs. I, it's part of the reason I want to see them start to lock guys into positions soon. Right. Uh, but uh, th- those are some things I'm hearing. And, and, you know, look, Jack Jack Cohn is everything Notre Dame thought he would be in better, but there is a legitimate battle at quarterback going on. Drew Pine is impressing people and and is earning that battle. At first it was just kind of like, a you know, Drew deserves it. He's the returner and – Jack's got to earn it, but it's it's turned into where where Drew's battling for it. I think Jack Cohn from from what I'm hearing right now is is got the edge, sure. But it is a legitimately tight battle, and and Drew Pine is is uh, is not going any, going away anytime soon. Okay, so uh, Thomas is uh, going to throw us some love here. I'm sure everyone appreciates your guys' humility with the success of the side and everything that you're doing. Just make sure you give your all selves a pat on the back because we all appreciate the work that you put in to bring us all this great content. So thank you. And, and we appreciate it. Obviously we, we, we want to thank all of you and it's not just a humility thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fact that we can't do this if it's not for everybody else. So, uh, and we enjoy doing it. I mean, this is, we, we enjoy doing this. It's a job. Yes, but we enjoy it. So I also threw my shoulder out the other day, so I can't reach around and pat myself in the back. (laughs) I'm getting too old. All right. Um, That's how I might've thrown my shoulder out. If if we're being honest. Patting yourself on the back. Perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, This is a really good question. I like this one. BK said that Jack Cohn has a better arm than he initially thought. Do you think Cohn has the ability to lead the Irish to a title? I, I think it's for me personally, I think it's less about what Jack Cohn brings to the table and more about what the offense is going to bring to the table as to whether Notre Dame can win a title or not. Does he have the physical skills to lead Notre Dame? Absolutely. I mean, if if they're doing RPOs and and he clearly has the arm strength to stretch the field, I think he has the moxie to fit it into some small windows. Um, I think he has the talent to do it. I think the defense is around to do it. 
is the offensive philosophy, is the offensive game plan going to be such that Notre Dame can score enough to be a title contender? I think that's the bigger question. Let so, me ask you this, Vince. Let me yeah, ask you this. Ahead. Okay, so just to follow up, because this is something he had asked in another podcast, and I want him to ask it, and I have an opinion on this too, but I, I kind of want to get you to expand on this. So uh, here's my question. So let's say Notre Dame goes out as a staff and they make the changes that we talk about. They yes. push the tempo a little bit. They're mixing things up. They're using all their personnel. They're attacking down the field. And we're seeing that in film. We're seeing that in we the are. videos. I mean, they're that's throwing the ball deep a lot. We're yes. seeing RPOs. We're seeing bubble screens. We're seeing look screens. We're seeing quick game. Uh, so those, so they make the cha- necessary changes, right? They they really open things up. They're using yep. two backs. They're using, you know, they're mixing up the personnel. Michael Mayer's are going to be a monster. All those types of things are happening. They're going to play Clemson. They're going to play Alabama. They're going to play, uh, you know, Georgia. They're going to play uh, Ohio State. They're going to play L- whoever. They're going to yeah. play those top teams that are title contenders or teams that have won titles. The reality is, is the philosophy can only take you so far, right? Mm-hmm. And you need a playmaker quarterback. And, and so my, my question is, is yes, the philosophy has been the thing that's held Notre Dame back. However, I don't still don't think Notre Dame wins a title the last three years. If even if the philosophy is correct, because I don't think that we saw a quarterback that was able to make those plays in those big games. So my question is this, because I do think Notre Dame did some things schematically in 2018 to, to put up more points against Clemson. If you get into those games and Tommy Reese is doing what you and I think and hope that Tommy Reese is sure. capable of doing and, sure. and all those kind of things, Jeff Quinn is, you know, answering the bell and the offensive line's playing well. In those big games, do you believe Jack Cohn? Because everybody knows my answer because I've been higher on Jack Cohn. You're the one that's been a little bit skeptical. So I think sure. it's even a better answer for you or question mm-hmm. for you. Do you think he has the physical tools within the framework of a better system? to go out and make some of those plays that are going to allow you to, to win a championship and, 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 you know, do the things you need to do. Cause I think we both agree. He, Notre Dame's not going to score 49 points a game like LSU did in 2019, but we also both agree that they don't need to because of the right. defense is better right. than the right, LSU right, team, right, right. right? Yes. No question. So here's how I would preface this with, I wish I could watch a full practice. Um, so I could watch Jack Cohn. I have watched his film, obviously not to the extent that you have, but I have watched his film. Does he have the arm strength to make the throws necessary? Yes, I do believe that. Mr. Pencil, what was that? Sorry, I had to scratch something off my screen. Oh, I was crazy. like, are you pointing at I, me? I, I just had sure my pencil in my hand. There was this little, <laughs> you know how how I do. Uh, how easily distracted I get, Vince? There was this little <laughs> spot on my that screen know. Yes. that I'm trying okay. to get it off of. So okay. Yeah, um, no, I, I, I would love to see him in person. Um, and I, obviously that's not going to happen. So I have to go off of what we've seen on the film. The, you know, the three-minute film and what we've been able to see from his game film when he was healthy, and that was, you know, two years ago. Um, I believe he's got the physical tools, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, from the game film that I've seen, I think that he has the mentality to throw the ball downfield, to fit the ball into some small windows, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he doesn't have to be this amazing quarterback. He has to get the ball into the playmaker's hands. And the playmakers are behind him at the running back position, and they're all around him at the wide receiver and tight end position. Mm-hmm. And I believe that he can get the ball into their hands. Again, I reserve judgment a little bit because I want to see him in person, and I want to see him in a Notre Dame uniform doing some of these things. Mm-hmm. But from what I've been able to gather so far, does he have the ability? Yes, he absolutely has the ability. And the schedule lays out nicely mm-hmm. for them to be in that situation right. 
at the end of the season. So, right. and we've seen yes. that, but it's it's more about, and, and I know you answered this, but it's more about okay, once you get there, we know Notre Dame can get to the dance, but what what, what can you do when you get there? And yeah, absolutely. For me, I think to, to Notre Dame 2164's question, I think BK's comments about him throwing the ball, uh, having a better arm, a stronger a stronger arm was important because right, right. this is the argument that I've made watching his film. He looked limited because it was a limiting offense. It is an offense. It's an old school offense, and it works for Wisconsin. It, it does. makes a lot of sense for Wisconsin to and do. And it makes sense in the Big Ten. Yes, because they does. can recruit big linemen. That state is littered with offensive linemen. They can get backs, and they're they're never going to have the 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 kind of skill and speed that Notre Dame can bring to the table. So Correct. they can't run the kind of tempo offenses. It would be a terrible fit. It's like putting Rich Rod at Michigan. You know, you just it, it, it'd be a bad fit to kind of go to that kind of. It works for them. But it also limits a quarterback unless you're an all-world quarterback like they had with Russell Wilson, sure. who was a you know fran- and now a Super Bowl winning franchise nice. quarterback. Pretty good. Jack Cohn's not that, and no one's accusing him of it. But to me, neither's Mac Jones. And exactly. to me, when I look at a guy like Jack Cohn, he's a lot more Mac Jones than he is Trevor Lawrence. And but people are talking lot- about Mac Jones being the number three pick in the NFL draft, right? right now. But I mean, I think that's going to be well. Mitch Trubisky was number two, so that's being picked enough. high doesn't necessarily mean you're a great quarterback. I, I think, I think Jack, I think Jack Cohn to me is that style of. I'm talking about the style of play gotcha. that where give him talent around him, he's got the grittiness to make those throws and make those plays. To me, I'm not concerned about Jack Cohn, honestly, being the reason that they don't win. I'm more right. concerned with, as Vince alluded to, making the necessary changes and not just doing them in the spring, but then really taking don't it to the back. next level in the fall. Yeah. Yep. And then the first time you don't score 40, you don't say, well, we've tried, it didn't work, and then go away from it, which I don't think they would invest this much time in it if they weren't going to make it a part of what they do. I'm more concerned about the offensive line than I am the quarterback position. But That's fair. I think that we have to understand the circumstances are a little different for Notre Dame in that I do truly believe they have a defense, as we've seen in the postseason. We saw it against Clemson in 2018. We saw it against Alabama this year. They held Alabama to a season low in points. And yes, Alabama could have probably got another touchdown, but still <laughs> that meant it would have been, you know, tied for their season low in scoring, which only came which came in the first game of the year. Right. I think Clemson's another one where Notre Dame held Clemson to over two touchdowns below their season average in 2018. There's a lot of teams that if you could have held Clemson to 30, they're they're going to win that game because of their offense. And that, to me, is the key. I'm more concerned about the offensive line. And again, Notre Dame doesn't need to score 49 points a game to win a title. They got to be able to score, you know, 27 to 34 in those big games to have yeah. a chance because of their defense, or at least put them in a chance where at the end of the game they're going to get the ball with an opportunity to go win. And I believe that Jack Cohn has. I mean, some of the throws he made. Go back and watch the Ohio State Big Ten title game that he played in. His numbers won't blow you away again in that offense, but they jumped out to a big lead on Ohio State partly because of some really gritty throws that he made in that game. So he's been in those big spotlight moments and he's battled and, and I like that. And now you put him in a system that's going to allow him to be more aggressive and attack. I think he can do it. And I, and I believe the same thing of Drew Pine. I do. And we've been on the Drew Pine thing for a little while now. We've yeah. talked about that before the season. Some people are like, I can't right. believe you think Drew Pine's got a shot to be a, yeah. okay. Well, here we are. Proof's in the pudding, man. You I know. Here we are. Yeah, I agree. Okie dokie. Let's see here. Here's here's a good one. Um, how much of a role do you think Sebo Flemister will have in the Notre Dame offense this year? He always seems like a punishing runner, perhaps short yardage plays. Now, here's 
here's my thing about Sebo, and like, he's the number three back. And I don't think anybody is going to argue with the fact that he's the number three back. Um, and I think he could he could fit in that role as like the short yardage guy if they wanted to have a package for Sebo. Here's the problem with that, in my eyes, is that uh, both Williams and, and Tyree can run you over too. Like they Especially they are not Tyree, afraid. Yeah. They are not afraid of contact. And I'm not. I wouldn't be upset having either one of those guys in on short yardage either. Now, if you want to be an effective running team, you got to have a third back. And that's kind of who Sebo is. So mm-hmm. if they want to have a package for him, that's fine. If they want to give him a series here and there, that's fine. My issue is when the game is on the line and you, you give Sebo Flemister that series that I don't think he should have when you've got Tyree and Williams sit on the sideline. Like that's I don't so, think that's so the role. Can I, I really ask you want a couple questions, Vince, on this yeah, question? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. first of all. Uh, real quick comment on on the pounding thing. I, I agree with you. I think Kyron's a very good short yardage back. We saw that against Pitt more than anything. You know where there's a lot of third and shorts and second and shorts where he had to just put his shoulder down and right. and, and get that and yardage. That. He has the combination of 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 vision, low build, and willingness to run over. My question is: is if you get into those short yardage situations, yes, they can do it. But isn't there some merit to possibly not asking them to do it? just less of a big pounding. Sure. I you know, get, so you get in those goal line situations. Like I'm not taking Kyron out on third and one. I'm not taking Chris Ty- Tyree out in third and one if they're already in the game. But as far as like, Hey, look, we're going to 13, 14 personnel in the goal line. I think there is some merit for Sebo. And we, and not only did we see last that. year, we saw this in 2019. I think he tied for, I'm going to look this up, but I thought he tied for the team lead in rushing touchdowns that year. And uh, at least he was, he had, he was up in that conversation. I'm, I'm pulling that up now, but he had, uh, so Tony Jones had six, Sebo had five. So he was second and he averaged 3.4 yards per carry because he had a lot of red zone scores, sure. one, two yard red zone scores. So to me, could those guys do it? Sure. Do I necessarily, would I have an issue if they wanted to make Sebo that short yardage back to let him take that pounding? Cause he's willing to give it. No, I think Sebo's right. a guy to me that if they wanted to give him every fourth or fifth series, I'd be fine with that. I think Sebo's a good running back. I, I just think that, like you said, Vince, it's more, it's not as much about Sebo. It's more about the other two are just too good. Correct. Having said that, the more they use those two guys together, the more opportunity there is to then every fourth or fifth series get Sebo on the field. Because if they're not going to use those two backs together, then I don't want Sebo playing a lot because now you're taking away from Kyron and especially Chris Tyree. And I don't want to take snaps away from Chris Tyree, but if you're using those two guys together or Sebo in those two guys together, because not all three, but I'm saying Sebo and no, no, I, them, yeah, I because yeah. you could put Kyron outside with Sebo or Tyree in the backfield. But if you wanted to go Tyree and Sebo to give Kyron a breather, then you could put Chris Tyree out and run some screens sure. and some different things to him too. So I think he is a good enough player. At the same time, Vince, he's clearly the number three back now. He's going to have to keep battling if he's going to keep that because there's a couple freshmen coming in this fall that sure. Audric Estime and, and Logan Diggs that are going to be hard to keep off the field. But I love Sebo. He's just – So do I. He's another one of those kids that's had every reason in the world to transfer if he wanted to, but he doesn't because yeah. he loves Notre Dame and he wants to prove himself here. And, and I, I just have a special place in my heart for guys like that. Sure. You know, I mean – I'm not a huge fan of transferring, but I also think there's merit to, to leaving. There's been guys that have left sure. their name like, yeah, he needed Jack Lamb needed to leave. What happened to him last year 
was he needed unconscionable. To he needed what, to what they did with Dracovic. He needed to leave. Sure. Some kids, it's like, come on, man, stick it out. Like it's not that tough. <laughs> right. With Sebo, he had he, Avery Davis is another one had every reason, every justification in the world to leave. Sebo has had every justification in the world to leave. Yeah. And he he's been buried behind good right. backs, but yeah. he stuck it out. And I love that kid. So I'd like to see him have some success this year. And then maybe if he if he's good enough this year, he can then go be a fifth year somewhere else and be the guy. And, and that's what I'd love to see for Sebo. Right. And and but yes, I think he'll have a role this year. And I think it would make sense to take some of that pounding and off I get of those that other too. backs. That's why I said you need if you need that third back. If you want to be a real complete running team, you need that third back. And that he will fill that role just fine. Yeah. Um, and when yeah. those other guys show up, this could be Notre Dame's best one through five running back depth chart in a very long time. That is true. All right, Dylan says, it's more of a philosophical question with recruiting. Is there an advantage to being the last visit for a recruit? For example, I think at the moment Notre Dame is the last scheduled visit for Sawchuck and C.J. Williams. Boy, it, it, there's no easy answer. It depends to this. on the kid, exactly. to be honest well, it, with you, and the, the family. And, circumstance. Yeah, right. So it's like this. If – if Notre Dame is sort of in that top, there's two ways to look at it. One is the the advantage of, of having the first visit is now you set the bar for all the others. And, and for Notre Dame specifically, that can be a good thing. Yes. Because there is no other. Mike Elson was talking about this. I took a little shot at the SEC, which I loved. But <laughs> Notre Dame is a unique place. And you set the bar for everybody else. So if you go to Notre Dame first and then you're doing all this partying and all this you know nonsense that these other schools do at, at these visits you're like man this is fun but they're not serious about the things that i'm right. serious about so if a kid is a notre dame type of kid that could have an impact for notre dame and so notre dame sets that bar i think that the other aspect of it is at times that first visit can can be a deal breaker for a kid especially if a kid's already leaning towards a school now that could be good for notre dame if they have the first visit but you know, if, if a kid goes to his top school first and they knock it out of the park, it's it's kind of like it's going to be harder for you to then with that last visit when he's already now gone on three or four visits and he's kind of already s- determined it's, where he wants exactly. to go. Exactly. Yeah. Then it can be harder. And it's it's a lot harder that that final visit to knock it out. Now, if, if a kid is genuinely open or is leaning towards Notre Dame, then I like the last visit being notre dame if a kid is it there usually i like being last but at times i i like being first but normally more often than not and if we're in it where we're one two or three and i'm looking at like from a coach's standpoint if we're one two or three and it's like a one a one b one c or a one a one b that i want the last shot yeah if we're trailing and and we're fourth out of four so like gavin Sawchuk, i'd rather be first for him my concern is you don't get to four. If he's taking four visits, you don't get to the, be the fourth. Yeah. You know, if, if Oklahoma is his out. school, yeah. If Oklahoma is his, is his school and he goes there and they just they knock it out and they start doing, hey, we only got one spot left at running back and you know we need you to come and we got so and so coming, then it can be a little bit more challenging. But but Notre Dame is is actually the going to be the second visit for Dallin Hayden. And that is to me my top back on the board right now. I actually have my running back big boards coming up this afternoon. Uh, if you're watching this on Friday, and it was real tight between one and two, 
but Dallin Hayden is my number one, and then Nicholas Singleton's my number two. Those two guys will both be on campus before Gavin Salchuk cuts on campus. So it could end up being a deal where it doesn't matter in that regards. Anyway. These guys have so, already committed. Yeah. I hope I answered that question. It's there's just there's no one easy depends. answer. Yeah, but if I, I had to, if I had to only pick one, more often than not, I'd prefer to be last. Makes sense. With no context, I'd prefer to be last. There's a couple questions in here from uh, DBZ, and we love DBZ, uh, but we already answered the one about you know what you're hearing, things like that. And then he uh, he had a Rocco Spindler, uh, Blake Fisher question. Uh, I'll throw it up here. But you know, are they going to be have a shot at starting this year on the O line? I'll let you kind of dabble into this one, but I think what you're hearing is they could get playing time, and they're definitely battling. Mm-hmm. Um, you think that they have a shot to start? I do. I do. Okay. Um, more so than I would have said before. I, I think they've some they've surprised people with how good they've been and That's how surprise. how That's mentally good they've been. Yeah. And everyone knew they were physically talented, but the question about a freshman is uh, offensive lineman is there's so much technique and mental work involved sure. that it's kind of like you know, can you really get it? But here's here's the thing that I'll say though, Vince, is one thing that Rocco has going for him is he's only played guard this spring. And that's my whole point. Whereas Andrew Kristoffik's playing guard, center, they're moving him around. Yeah, like Rocco's right. had to focus on guard. Now, right and left guard, but it's still guard. Right. Blake Fisher's only played tackle. That's right and left tackle, but it's only tackle. And that's why I think they need to they need to relax. Okay, here's who's legitimately starting for a, a, a job. Andrew Kristoffik is not going to beat out Zeke Carell, so leave him at guard. Now, right. you're going to put him at right and left guard? Go for it, but put him at guard. And and let them battle because then you can really see if 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 Rocco is now having to face the same competition every day and he still steps in and says, "Hey, I'm the dude," then you're going to feel a lot better about him being the dude. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I think they both have a shot at starting. I'll be shocked if both of them start barring injury, unless there's injuries. I don't see both of them starting. I've heard Dylan Gibbons is having a great spring, so he's he is potential he's closer to locking down a spot than i thought he would have been this early in camp but that's another reason guys need to be left at one position so they can really get comfortable but they could both be there now if you were to ask me what my perfect world scenario would be you know is is would be in a situation regarding the freshman i've already given my answer of my ideal starting right right, but regarding the freshman is i wouldn't mind seeing a scenario in which they're rotating at a position if they're clearly both good enough to start and you sure. know Tosh Baker's locked down right tackle or left tackle Jarrett Patterson's going to start there and say hey look we got to get these two guys in the field so maybe you know they're both part of a rotation I, I said rotating with the other that's not what I meant they're wrote they're both rotating so you've got you know let's say you've got Dylan Gibbons starting at guard and you put Rocco behind him and every third series give Rocco a shot and then at right tackle you have Tosh, and I've talked about this, Tosh and Blake rotating like we saw in 2017, I think would be good for both of them. So I could see a scenario in which they're both playing. I just don't know if we're going to see them both start barring injury. But the fact that they're they're they both are is a great for them. They're even they're as good as we thought they would be, if not sure. better. But it's also a bit of a concerning sign because it means the veteran players that are coming back have not yet seized hold of those right. starting that, jobs. I think that's what worries me more. I mean, it's great that the young guys are competing. I, I love that. I really do. Um, but it, it has me concerned to a degree that the older guys haven't taken control. And so, I, I you know, we'll see how it goes, obviously. Um, but, you and know, that- and along those same lines, yes, <laughs> um, I did. If you have not seen this, okay, 
uh, Dylan Hoffman says, did, uh, ask DBZ, did you like the Spindler pancake block yesterday? If you have not seen this, go to irishbreakdown.com, click on the practice nine highlights clip, and it's about midway through. I have, I put a, I put, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All the clips in order, and I say who's in each clip. Right. So you can go find the one of Rocco. It looked a lot like that that Quentin Nelson block against Georgia from 2017. Now, not as destructive as the Quentin Nelson block from against Georgia, but it's very similar, and it's just an impressive, impressive block, and it just shows his instincts and also his power. He lays Jordan Patelho out, and Patelho's like, I'm going to get a, a sack. Yeah. I see the opening sack, and bam, you know, like lights out. He wakes up, and it's Saturday. <laughs> you know, but uh, it was a great block. But that's just an example of 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 why Rocco is is. I mean, he's he's a really good football player. There's no question about it. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Brian Connor uh, is referencing our our boy Tom Loy Mm -hmm. here. He said uh, he put in a crystal ball for Devin Moore. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on him and the state of safety recruiting? I have not seen that. I don't really go to 247, but uh, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, Devin Moore's a guy I like a lot. We've talked about him a little bit in the past. And honestly, I didn't think Notre Dame had much of a shot early on with this one. So I really liked the fact they were in his top five for six, I believe. Uh, but I didn't think they were going to be able to close the deal. But this this would be a good one. And here's what I like about Devin Moore. So I in in the defense Marcus Freeman plays, you need a safety that can one play center field. Vince, you know this. When you're playing cover one, you need a safety that can play the middle of the field and play, you know, beyond the hashes from the middle of the field. You have to have it. And Devin Moore is a tall, rangy kid, and he's a wide receiver. And when you watch him play receiver, you really see that range, Vince. Like when he turns on the Jets to run like go routes or post routes, like this cat's covering some ground. And he plays in, you know, he plays at Naples High School in Florida. They play some good teams. And so I like that. You And you the other one is you got to be able to cover. And he plays a lot of corner at Naples. I like that. I like any six one, probably about like one eighty five, really long and rangy. I like the kid a lot, Vince, and I think he's a guy that would be part of if you can get him. I was actually talking about this 
with a friend today. I was doing some grocery shopping for my wife to help her get some stuff for her trip because she's been in meetings all morning. And uh, he asked me, you know, what, what kind of what would be your your dream safety class if you if you can't have Xavier Nwankpa, who's actually visiting in June, officially right. visiting, but you know, but Ohio State's the clear leader right now. It, you know, what, what would, what kind of, who would be part of a safety group that would make you happy with this safety class? And the first three names that came to mind were Jake Pope, Devin Moore, and, um, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, Sherrod Cavill from Virginia. You give me a two man, two of those three, and I'm thrilled with the safety class. And it's not, you know, Devin Moore's not like a top 50 player, but Devin Moore can flat out ball. So if they're able to, to to win that one, it would certainly be big. And they're beating, you know, SEC teams for him. He has an impressive offer list. So that would be big. And I have not seen that Tom put that out, but I don't think Tom would have put that out if he wasn't at least hearing some good things about where things stand with Devin. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I got somebody down there that said that he recently that he thought Notre Dame had a much better shot than I thought they did. So I was glad to hear that. Now we'll see if they can get him on campus and, and close the deal. This is, if you haven't watched Devin Moore's film, do so. He's a very good football player. And I'm going to be releasing my safety board next week. And some people might be surprised with how he, how he ranks on that. Okay. Jack says, I would take C.J. Williams, Morris, etc., But I don't really see too much explosiveness in those guys. If Andy were to land a group of Williams, Morris, and Walker, what would you grade that class? So, Vince, this is an interesting take by Jack because – He's making a similar point that I believe, and that is C.J. Williams is really good. Tyler Morris is really good. The problem is they're very similar players, not style-wise. Tyler's more of a slot X. You know, he's got some shiftiness to him. He's T.J. Jones. I've compared him to T.J. Jones. Okay. C.J. Williams is sort of a a Juju Smith-Schuster guy to me. And, you know, with, with a little less maybe vertical speed, but more of a, a chain mover, a Javon okay. McKinley-esque build, a little shorter, uh, guy that's going to – third and five is going to be a monster, you know, could catch 80 balls sure. for 1,000 yards, but he's not going to be a guy that's stretching the field and he's not running, running away guys, deep a whole lot. Yeah. Tyler Morris I like a lot. He's a TJ Jones guy, but, again, not a burner. The concern you have with you if you put that group together is – You've got really good football players, but there's the the fear of, okay, who stretches the field? I'm just not as obsessed with that as some people are. I, I'm, I'm really not. I've, I've had the – look, I, I've said this before. In the last 15 years, there's been four Notre Dame receivers that have led the team in catches as receivers and averaged 17 yards per catch or more. It's Michael Floyd, Golden Tate, Will Fuller, and Javon McKinley. Javon McKinley averaged 17 yards a catch this year. Smoked Clemson. Smoked Asante Samuel, who I'm constantly seeing projected to be in the first round. There's other ways to get open than just running by people. T. Higgins ran almost a 4-6 at his pro day, and he averaged like 18 yards per catch during his career. Did anyone question his speed when he was smoking Nick McLeod, when Nick Nick McLeod was still at NC State, or when he was smoking Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl? I understand where where Jack's coming from, and I do think there are some concerns. But number one, I think there's some explosiveness in the older classes. I think there's some explosiveness in the at the running back position, you know, Lorenzo Styles, Xavier Watts, guys like that. And then you have to say, okay, now you have to make sure that in the 2023 receiver class, you got to focus on some guys. But what I would like to see them do, Jack, is take those two and Morris if you if you can. But at that point in time, you have to say we got to find n- another room for a fourth receiver, and we've got to get Xavier Bradshaw. That would be my concern as you land those two guys who are really good football players, and then not take Xavier Bradshaw. That that to me would be a mistake. 
So I do think there's a need, and maybe you could still – or Xavion Bradshaw and Tobias Merriweather. you got to get one of those two guys to me. And you just say, hey, look, we're going to go with the bigger class. But that's what I would see. But I would I would grade it. I'd give it probably a B-plus because, again, those are good football players. B-B-plus for sure, and that means top 10 yeah. to 12 receiver group. group. Yeah, Right. It, you know, So B-plus, B to B-plus for me is a pretty good grade based on how I give it. It's just, again, that lack of big playability would be the thing that keeps it from and, – and the third guy being such a project, low floor ceiling, you know, low floor guy in a Morin Walker, it wouldn't um, – it would have me happy with it, but a little bit concerning. Speaking of floors and ceilings, uh, Moore versus Pope, both low-rated guys with high ceilings, in my opinion. This is from Dylan. Which one would you prefer and which is more likely? Might be different answers. Well, it's hard to say who's more likely because again, we got to get these kids on campus. We got to yeah. see them get on campus think, to these different places and go. I think come them. June, I think come June, recruiting is just going to fall on its. I mean, right. not fall on its face, but like everything's going to get flipped or upside There's down. Gonna, guys that we don't think Notre Dame is going to yeah. get now, they're going to get guys that we don't think that we think they're going to get the or country, not. It's right. just going to be like, oh wow, I didn't realize this or I didn't realize. I mean, it's going to be yeah. it's going to be nutty starting in June. I think, Dylan, I don't, I have not graded them both. Right. So and, and the reason what I mean by that is there's I watch film and I get a gut feel. I like this guy more than that guy. But then I grade him out and it doesn't always turn out that way. Yeah. And, and for example, at, at running back, how my running back board is going to shape out is not exactly how I thought it would based on my gut feel. But that's why I created the grading system that I did, because it helps me to to protect myself from my own biases. Sure. Right. And that's what I think is that's what you need to do as a coach because everybody has a bias. Some guys like bigger players, some guys like faster players, some guys like players that are already technically sound, some guys like guys that, you know, there's all types of different things that you look for. And so that's why I tried to create a balanced grading system. So I don't know who would grade out higher. Honestly, my answer is which one would you prefer? My answer would be yes. I mean, also, <laughs> give me both, give me both, give me either. It's it's a win-win situation for me. Yeah. I, I don't know if I could say which one I like better right now. I I I, I don't have a gut between the two of them. I, I think that that what I like about Devin Moore is he brings uh, he, to me he's a little bit rangier and a better pure cover player than Jake Pope. I think Jake Pope is more explosive athletically. I think Jake Pope would make a better receiver than he would than Devin Moore. He could play both ways. I think yeah. Jake Pope is a little bit more of a playmaker. Devin Moore is more of a cover guy, free safety type. So they both have strengths over the other, but they're very similar in what their roles would be. And I, I like them both. I, I don't I don't know who I would take. If I had to probably pick one, I'd probably go with Devin Moore. But I, ask me again in 15 minutes, and I'll probably change my mind. I mean, it's, it's really close. It's really close. If they get either one of those guys, I'm happy. Get both of them for all, you know, for all right. I care. I'd right. Be thrilled with that. Okay, let's see here. Oh, somebody's calling you out, by the way. Thomas is calling you out. Brian, I still have NCAA 14 for uh, Xbox 360. <laughs> Here's my gamer tag. I'm challenging you. I love it. For, for, if my he, son Tommy, still had Tommy his, and I are going to have some words after this podcast. If, if my son still had his 360, I, I'd be jumping on there. And what's the 666 stuff? I'm not playing some dude hey. worshiping a devil, Tommy. We're going to have to have a little conversation after this podcast is over. <laughs> This, right. So so can, wait a minute. So you can so I'm going to date myself a little bit here. I have That's not okay. played an NCAA game in like five or six years. So yes. you can actually play people that aren't sitting next to you. Yeah. Yes. Oh, and that's pretty much what anybody does anymore. They don't okay. do the whole. You got to put the headset on. And I, yeah, I always think my son's talking to me. 
and he's uh-huh. not. He's always talking to other people that gotcha. he's never met before. So yeah, yeah, that's where we're at, my friend. It's unfortunate. You buy me an Xbox 360, yeah. me and we'll play. Right, exactly. Uh, Brian has kind of a wide open question here, and I'm not sure which direction you want to take this. Uh, he says, with the four game freshman rule, what freshmen and what games would you like to see them play? That's it. That is such a wide open question because, you know, I would like to see a lot of the freshmen play at some point, and mm-hmm. I don't necessarily care which game it is. It just depends on the flow of the game and, and kind of how things are going. What, what was it? Was it last year or the year before? When no, Was it the Ball State game when Notre mm-hmm. Dame basically practiced all of their younger guys in preparation to get them in the game, and it bit them in the butt right. because those – None of them the got guys, in the game. Right, that's exactly right. It was you can't plan for stuff like that. You can have that as as a contingency plan mm-hmm. and things like that, but don't make it your Notre Dame priority. has to do that because the scout team guys don't practice correct. Well, good with, point. Don't get the reps, so that needs to change. But to me, that, yeah, that needs to change. Uh, okay, so I can't tell you specifically which games because, like Vince said, it just depends on how the game is going. I right. would have said most of those guys would have got in against Duke last year. Right, no, they didn't. I would have thought those guys would have got against Georgia Tech last year. They didn't. That's the two crappy teams with crappy defenses that Notre Dame couldn't really score on the way that everybody else scored on them. Sure. You know, so obviously you look at the schedule. The way I like to do the four-game thing is I like to kind of mix it up a little bit. I don't want a guy to get his four games in the first five, you know, so I don't want to see him blow out Florida State, blow out Toledo, blow out Wisconsin, and the same kids are getting their four games in then just because then you're you're in a – pickle if you, late in the season you have some injuries sure. you need to prepare for i also think it, it keeps them less engaged hey i've played my four they told me i'm redshirting so no i'm done I, i'm out so i kind of like mixing it up a little bit so maybe sure. you know week one blowout you play you know Dion colsey and get him a little bit of work and and then you know maybe the next time you 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 play Jaden thomas in and in there instead so i'm just receiver if you're going to redshirt those guys although i'm not a a huge fan. I probably should use a different example because I I'm not a huge fan of redshirting wide receivers. You know that, but you know offensive line. You get Caleb Johnson in the first game, and then you get Joe Alden in the next time. That kind of thing, right? So I would mix it up a little bit. The guys that I would prioritize playing early are guys that you think could help you at some point in time this season. So you know Deion Colsey. Let's this would be a better example to use him. I'd like to see him play early. I'd like to see Prince Collie, who might be a redshirt play early because then you give them those reps to say, Hey, you know what? This guy's a little bit too good not to play. That's, that's who I would prioritize early. But in theory, if you know, a guy is going to red shirt. So we're talking offensive linemen. We're talking Mitchell Levins at tight end, you know, maybe one of the two running backs, um, you know, those kind of players that the, all three of the young defensive edge, but you know, Jason Onye, Schweitzer and Devin Upal, those guys would all be players that I would say spread it out. But Cart Kerry G, who may end up playing more, get him a chance early. Prince Collie early. Deion Colsey early. They decide to take those red shirts off. Exactly. But yeah. you, you don't want to wait till midway through the season to find right. out when this guy gets on the field, he's really flipping good because right. then you could have helped him. He could have helped you against Wisconsin or USC sure. or something like that. So and, that's kind of okay. how I would go about it. And I'm okay with getting, you know, using up one of those red shirt games on special teams. Like, right. There's there's something to be said, and you know we don't know if the stadiums are going to be full and blah blah blah. But in a normal year, 
which I'm very much hoping that we have in the fall. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said for getting on the field, even on special teams. You run down on the kickoff team or on the punt return team or whatever in front of 80,000 people, right? Because it's different to stand on the sidelines in front of 80,000 and then to get on the field in front of 80,000, right? Yeah. So I would would not necessarily reserve a spot on special teams or whatever, but I would try to get as many of those guys – at least a rep or two. Well, they they did that a little bit with Maris Lewifow in 2019, which I thought was smart. Yes. Now, what I would do is I would do that in games, and I'd have to go back and look and see if this was, in fact, what they did in 2019. They actually put Elsita Ekwanu and Maris Lewifow in games on the coverage teams to start games in 2019, and they still both redshirted. Right. I would say, and I don't know if they did what I'm about to say. I'd have to go back and look at the specific games, but I would do it against teams that you think you're going to, have a shot at getting them in the game later. That's what I would do. So like, if you want to put, you know, let's say that you don't travel Prince Collie. Let's say Prince Collie's not quite ready to say, hey, I deserve to play right now. Let's just say that hypothetically for an example. In the opener against Florida State. It's a road game. It's a little different animal. You don't have all those kids with you because you don't travel everybody. You travel to Florida State. Maybe he doesn't make that trip. Maybe Kerry G doesn't make that trip because they're not quite there yet. They're darn sure going to be starting on my kickoff and punt coverage team against Toledo the next week. Right. Right. Because that's a game where, let's be honest, Toledo's a good football team. They're still a MAC team. That's still a game Notre Dame should be up by three plus touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Yes. No question. Then, but I'm not doing it against Wisconsin because right. then you've literally just blown it in a game where they're probably only going to play special. I liked it to be a game where there's a chance you could get them to do both. And if it doesn't work out that way, it doesn't work out that way. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. But yeah, at least there's a ch- maximize yes. the game that you yes. have to use yes. for these guys. Don't just blow it on one right. rep. Basically. But I'll say this. If a guy is good enough to be a starter on three or four different special teams, that to me is worth using a redshirt year, right. unless it's a unique situation like with what we have with Romeo Aguara in 2012 where he was 16 years old. Yeah, right. Or Jeremiah sure. Wusu when sure. he was a freshman. And Notre Dame wisely redshirted Jeremiah Wusu Koromo. We they couldn't have known that he was going to turn into what he was. No. no. But you know, he was 17 years old and and young and needed to develop his body. Those guys are exceptions to the rule. Yes, you need to because you don't want a guy to get injured. Um, if a guy's young, young like Romeo was, I would have loved to have seen Romeo get a sixth year or fifth year. I mean, that would have been awesome. But uh, in, in most cases, I'm 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 fine if you're going to play a guy as a freshman if he's starting on all your special teams. Because, I mean, you can't say special teams is as important as offense and defense and then say, yeah, but we're not going to blow a guy's red shirt even you know, just to, to use him as a starter. Would I use a guy to just do – would I blow a, you know, Prince Scully's red shirt or Kerry G's red shirt just to use him as a kickoff cover guy? No. Right. But if he's going to be on kickoff coverage, kick return, and punt cover, yeah, okay. Or, yes. you know, sure, go for it, you know. Yeah. Um so, so that's kind of that's where I'm at, or, or use him as a punt cover and a punt a punt return guy. Sure, go for it. Do burn the red shirt because that guy's playing football. And if he's that good as a special teams player as a freshman, chances are he's, he's going to be, be a guy who's battling yeah. for a starting job here in the next couple of years. That's exactly right. All right, Brian, it is two o'clock, so okay. I have to roll to class. Do you see where we're at over there I in do. the comments? I okay. do. Excellent. Yep. Thank you, everybody. Yep. Again, my favorite hour of the week. And so I, I love all the comments, and Brian's going to be doing this for a while. You because- get like some kind of substitute teacher next week, Vince, that can kind of cover your – you need like a TA. You need like no a kidding. teacher's assistant on Fridays. This as is long as you guys, you know, As long as you guys don't mind like basketballs and stuff in the background, maybe I'll jump back mm-hmm. on. We'll see what happens. Okay. So, mm-hmm. all right. We, we wouldn't say no. All right. I'll say see you guys later. All right. See you, Vince. All right. This is Tommy Davidson. Hey, Coach. Hey, Tommy. Appreciate you being in the show, my man. 
Um, here we go. Uh, I'm going to try and see. Okay, this is Jeff Bowdrin. Uh, says, not sure if I can go there with this topic, but can you compare BK at this point in his career, Bobby Bowden, Tom Osborne before they won their first national title? You know, can't win the big one. I think those are great comparisons. Great comparisons. I'm, I'm going to look this up. Brian Kelly's not anywhere close, I don't believe, to where Bobby Bowden was when he won his first title. And I'm going to look these up as we're answering this question. And and, and honestly, the reason I it's, – it's a little different situation for me with Brian Kelly and those coaches because – so Tom Osborne took over in 1973, didn't win his first title at Nebraska till 1994. So Brian Kelly still has almost a decade to be at Nebraska before you get to Tom Osborne. And he won, like, what, three in his final four years? Bobby Bowden took over at Florida State in 1976 and won his first title in 1993. Now, when he took over Florida State, they were not a, a legitimate big-time program. So it's a little different situation. And so, But but here's the, here's the thing for me. I think Brian Kelly is very much in the situation right now that they were in the lead-up to their first title, Jeff. So even though – you know, Brian Kelly's not going to be here for another nine or 10 years. He he got the job a little bit later. You know, he'd been a head coach for a while when he got the job. And it's just, it's a different era. You know, guys don't stay at places 30 years anymore, especially Notre Dame. So it's a little different animal. But in to specifically draw the parallels, I think that Brian Kelly is sort of in that, you know, he's creeping up on being the kind of program. And what took what took Nebraska over the top? Right. Nebraska had some good football teams. Nebraska had a, a lot of really, really good football teams. But I think what took Nebraska over the top, in my opinion, is to, in regards to winning a championship, is they got a little bit more dynamic skill. You know, I'm on Green, Lawrence Phillips, but they had a dynamic quarterback that could get them over the top and Tommy Frazier and a great defense. So that's what got them over the top. And you look at Florida State. What got Florida State? I mean, Florida State had a lot of good quarterbacks. They had a dynamic quarterback and Charlie Ward. And I, I don't think their overall talent everywhere else was necessarily better on that 93 team than it was in previous years when they, when they couldn't beat Miami. I think what helped Florida State was, one, that was when Miami started to fade. That was, a, that was the beginning of the end for Miami in that era. That's point number one. Point number two is they got a dynamic quarterback in Charlie Ward, and that put them to me over the top. That's where Notre Dame is, is we've talked about this. That's where Notre Dame is lacking. They've got to get better quarterback play. What That doesn't necessarily have to mean a Heisman Trophy winner or anything like that. And remember, one of the years Nebraska won a title, Tommy Frazier got hurt and missed a good chunk of the year, but they were good enough to, to still keep winning, but he was back when it was time to go win a title. So to me, you get a quarterback – it, it, let me ask you this question, Jeff. Think about this. In 2018, if you could switch quarterbacks, and this is not a no disrespect to Ian Book because we're talking about one of the best freshman quarterbacks ever to play the game and a guy that's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. But if you switch quarterbacks in 2018, I'd put Notre Dame against anybody. I, I really would. If you put Lamar Jackson, who was in college at the time, on the 2017 Notre Dame team, I, I'd take note, I think Notre Dame has a shot to beat anybody. If you take the 2015 Notre Dame team and, and they had a playmaker quarterback and you give them better defensive coaches and a better strength program, I'll put that team up against anybody. We've seen years where Notre Dame had the talent at almost every position to go toe-to-toe -to -toe 
with anybody. We saw it in 2017. They lost to the eventual national runner-up by a point, a point. And they had plenty of opportunities in the fourth quarter to win that game. And they didn't even have their best receivers on the field. Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin barely played that game. So I think Notre Dame is a lot closer talent-wise than people think at every position except for one. And that, to me, is the difference. Tom Osborne didn't win a title till he got Tommy Frazier. Bobby Bowden didn't win a title till he got Charlie Ward. And he had, he had NFL quarterbacks before that, but Tommy Charlie Ward was different. Tommy Frazier was different. And that, to me, is, is where the comparison ends and where Notre Dame needs to be. Dylan Hoffman asks, are uh, Joe Wilkins, Avery Davis, Braden Lindsey, Austin Ke- uh, uh, Kevin Austin, and Lawrence Keyes all gone next year, or do any of them have any years of eligibility? Well, first of all, all of them have an extra year of eligibility. All of them. Avery Davis could get a sixth year because of the COVID year. And, and that's the thing, Dylan, is the COVID year has, has made it to where you could find some unique situations where all of them come back. I don't think all of them will. I don't know if any of them will. I think that Joe Wilkins... I don't know if bringing him back would be a great idea. We'll have to see what he does this year. But he's a good football player, but not a, to me, a needle mover. He's more of a guy that should be in a rotation. I think if Kevin Austin has a big year this year, the only way you'd want to bring Kevin Austin back is if he has a big year and he proves himself to be the guy you think he could be. If he gets hurt again or doesn't maximize his potential, it's time to move on. But at the same time, if Kevin Austin has a big year, he may say, look, all the things have gone on. I need to strike while the iron's hot and go pro. So I don't see Kevin Austin coming back. Braden Lindsay and Lawrence Keyes are interesting ones. I could see one or both of them coming back, depending on the kind of years they have. Uh, if Braden Lindsay, however, has a big year, he may want to say, do I want to risk another year potentially getting, getting injured? I'm finally healthy. Uh, those are all interesting, tough questions. And I don't see Avery Davis coming back for a sixth year either because I think he's going to be good enough this year to say, hey, it's time to, to go test the NFL waters. Uh, so all of them could come back. I think at most I'd say two of that group come back in 2022. I don't think it'd be any more than that. And it may it, there's a much better chance it's less than there, than there are more. Uh, and then to follow up, Dylan asks, if that's the case, do you think Notre Dame could take four wide receivers this year? I really wish they wouldn't have taken Walker so soon. Much rather t- have taken Nicholas Anderson instead of him. I agree. I would have much rather had Nicholas Anderson than Amorian Walker, but you can't now also take Nicholas Anderson and Amorian Walker because neither of them are high enough upside or high enough ceiling guys to be that. And that, that was to me, um, you know, that was to me was, was the issue. So I just, you know, I, I don't think you can take four receivers because to me, I don't think Notre Dame's working with the assumption that, that many of those guys are coming back. I don't think if three or four of those, those receivers leave, that all of a sudden Notre Dame's thinking, oh, wow, we thought Kevin Austin was going to come back for a fifth year. Or we thought that, you know, these guys were coming back for fifth years or Avery Davis is coming back for a sixth year. I don't think those were part of the equation with Notre Dame. So I, I don't think that they necessarily are, are accounting those guys when they're talking about the scholarship situation anyway. So I don't think that's going to impact taking a fourth receiver. I think right now when you look at Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts, Jay Brunel, Lawrence, Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, Jaden Thomas, you know, plus a couple of those guys coming coming back, one or two of those guys coming back, plus this incoming freshman class, numbers are already pretty tight. So you have three this year, you had three last year, three the year before that. That's nine right there, plus the potential of bringing back one of one or two of Wilkins, Lindsey, and Keys. That's a lot of receivers. Plus, you're going to bring in hopefully two tight ends again this year. I just don't know if numbers wise it would make sense to bring in a 
11th or 12th or 13th wide receiver, depending on you know who comes back. So um, I don't think it'll get to a fourth based on that. I think the way you get to a fourth is if somebody that's an underclassman transfers. I'm not going to name names because I, there's no one in particular I have in mind, but just pick any of the freshman or sophomore receivers. If somebody gets beat out, kind of like we saw with Kendall Abdur-Rahman, if another one of those situations happen, that's when I think you could see them maybe say, hey, we're going to, we're going to take a fourth wide receiver in this class. So hopefully that answers your question. Um, all right. Uh, Matt D says, Nana Osafa Mens is freaking huge now. The tweet he put out of himself the other day, his biceps gained five pounds each. And Nana's jacked. But more importantly, Matt, the thing I've liked is he's flashing on film too. We're seeing, I've seen at least four or five highlights now of Nana really blowing up on the edge. And it's been some of them are rundowns and some of them are pass downs. Now, if Nana can step up this year and force his way into the rotation as the third big end, or if somebody goes down, you know, because we if somebody gets hurt at three technique, you can maybe see Myron move back inside and and Nana plays more, but more so just say, hey, look, even if he's not playing a ton, get five, 10 snaps a game, maybe get him in a goal line package. But now you're feeling really good about going into 2022 with the combination of Justin Adamiola and Nana with Myron gone to the NFL. So him stepping up this year uh, is really, really big for Notre Dame and big for him. He's battled injury. I think people have kind of already written him off, which is crazy because he's still only a redshirt sophomore. He's got plenty of time left. Um, and if Notre Dame really wanted him back, he could get a sixth year because of the COVID year. So it's good to see him not only jacked up, but more importantly, to be playing well. Joseph Kramer asks, does Notre Dame have a realistic chance with Arch Manning or getting him to visit? Getting him to visit, possibly. Peyton visited Notre Dame, I believe. Uh, as far as do they have a chance to get him, I, I don't I don't see that. I, I don't see that happening. I think the Mannings are very savvy people. They understand how this works. And one of the things that factored into where they all went was they wanted to go somewhere where they felt confident in the in the who was going to develop them. And Peyton went to to Tennessee because there was a lot of faith in in David Cutcliffe as the offensive coordinator at the time. And then, of course, he was the head coach at Ole Miss when Eli went to Ole Miss. They're going to go somewhere with a proven – and this is smart. This is very smart. They're going to go somewhere that has a proven track record of developing quarterbacks. And and I think even the biggest of Notre Dame homers has to say, like, look, Notre Dame doesn't have a track record of developing quarterbacks, whether it be developing to be maximizing their potential in college – improving their games as they get older. Ian, no one could argue that Ian Book was a better player as a senior than, as he was his previous two years. I don't think you can make that argument. The numbers certainly don't represent that, despite playing a weak schedule and every other quarterback regressed. So I just don't think Notre Dame has the the resume from a coaching standpoint to really ultimately attract Arch Manning and that family to send him to Notre Dame. Now, maybe if they hire something happens and you know there's a change, maybe, but I just don't see that happening, and I don't see him being a realistic player I think a guy like Dante Moore is a, a guy they have a better shot with as far as being a, an elite five-star quarterback. All right, David, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Um, okay, Richard Maltby, this is an interesting question, Richard. In your opinion, looking into the future, what's the most favorable year that Brian Kelly can get us over the hump and get us that elusive national championship I believe he has until 2024? I would agree with you on the end game, and that's when his contract comes up. I don't I don't think Brian Kelly is going to get another extension, and if he does, it's simply an extension that protects you on the recruiting trail and gets him more money when he retires. I don't see him coaching past 2024. The year as far as getting him over the hump, honestly, for me, it's 2022, and there's a couple reasons for it. Number one, 
I think a lot of the skill players that are going to step up this year as the top guys will be back the next year. Michael Mayer is going to be back, obviously, but at least Chris Tyree is going to be back. We'll see if Kyron Williams is. They'll be good at running back. The The other thing is you're probably going to have at least four starting offensive linemen back from that team, which is going to be good. You know, the second year of the new starting line is going to be better. You're going to see a lot of guys on defense coming back. Some of the guys that they're going to lose on defense, hopefully you're in position to replace them. I mean, they're going to lose Kyle Hamilton, but that they, they, they should still be okay there. But they're because they're going to step up at other positions. I think they have a lot of players coming back. And the other thing, Richard, is I think their schedule sets up very favorably in that you may think it's an incredibly challenging schedule, which is very true. But number one is if you split with Ohio State and Clemson and the loss is competitive, then the reality is is you're then going to have a much better resume. There's a lot. North Carolina's on that schedule. USC's on that schedule. Stanford's on that schedule. So the the point being that you have you that's a year we say Notre Dame can get in with a loss if it's a competitive loss and there's a good chance that you could knock out one of those perennial playoff teams if you beat them especially if you beat them convincingly enough. So you know let's say Notre Dame loses to Ohio State at home in a close game and then goes on the road and smacks Clemson around. Clemson's out, right? Cuz the ACC schedule alone is probably not good enough to get them in although I do believe they played Georgia I think that's when they start their Georgia series in 22. I could be wrong on that. But you may knock them out. Well, that benefits Notre Dame because now you've already knocked one of those teams out. And so I think that two-year stretch is going to be Brian Kelly's best year from a combination of schedule that sets up nicely, enough top-end talent to be really a great resume, kind of like the 2017 schedule, where if Notre Dame beats Miami and beats Stanford – they're getting in with one loss. They'd had six wins over top 25 teams. The 2022 schedule is going to be a lot like that. But then also you have the talent, in my opinion, at all positions in 22 and 23 to make that run, which is why I could see some players coming back in 2022 that might surprise us because they are going to see it too. They're going to say, you know what? We got a chance to make a run. Um, let's, Let's go make that run. All right, Patrick, my man, thank you so much for the uh, the super chat there. Appreciate that very, very much. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you too. Kendall, close strong on this receiver class. I am concerned. Thank you. Um, Patrick, I'm concerned as well. Uh, the reality is, is, however, is if Notre Dame is going to close at receiver, it's not going to just be Dell. I think even more than Dell, I think this is a big opportunity for Tommy Reese. I think Tommy Reese, if he can go out and kind of overcome some of those deficiencies they've had up to this point, it's going to say a lot about him as a recruiter as in a positive manner. But I also think that what they're doing is, is, is you're seeing Coach Alexander be a little bit more active right now, especially with 2023 guys. Uh, they're, they're getting some of these players that they've been behind on on campus. Can they overcome it with that? Uh, so, yeah, can he close strong? I think so. Look, here's my thoughts on this, Patrick. Dell Alexander came to Notre Dame with a very strong reputation as a recruiter and a position coach. I loved the hire when it was made. So it's not like he's incapable of correcting course and getting it done. I think he is capable of it. Will we see it or not? That's a good question. But I think he's capable of it. And especially if for some of these receivers that maybe aren't making decisions during the summer, if they can get some of these guys to, you know, if some of these players are not going to commit or maybe they commit to another schools, but Notre Dame stays on them. If the offense does this fall, what I think it's going to do, or maybe I should say hope it's going to do, then now you're in position to flip these guys. Because, look, the game has changed, right? Just because guys commit doesn't mean that, okay, well, that guy's not on the board anymore. If he's still talking to you, then you keep talking to him. 
and maybe then they could flip a, a guy or two because it doesn't take many. It just takes one big flip of a, of a top player to make it happen. So could he do it? Yes. Yes, he can. He can close strong. He's capable of it. He's a good coach, and he's you know, has had moments where he's been known as a good recruiter. We just have to see him do it, Patrick. I mean, that's the big thing is he's just got to step up and do it. All right, here we go. Notre Dame 2164. If you could make one thing instantly happen in Notre Dame to close the gap to elite status, what would it be? Give him an elite quarterback. Uh, I believe that. I mean, that that would be the key. Give him a you know, I think that that if they can only do one thing, that's it, right? Give him an elite quarterback. I think give him a a Trevor Lawrence, give him a you know, a Kyler Murray, that kind of guy. If you could give Notre Dame that kind of player, then then I think that's a big impact. We've seen it in past years. If you'd have had that kind of quarterback in 2018 or 2017, I think Notre Dame competes for, if not wins a ch- title one of those two years. I, I think they had that. Give them a Joe Burrow, and, and I think that happens. So that, that, would be, um, that would be where I'm at. All right. Let's find some questions here. I'm glad you liked the answer. That was our question. If you just joined us, we talked about the different who's going to play what positions on the defensive line and how they would fit into the offense. So uh, if you if you did not see that when we when the show is is over, you can go back and look. All right, all right, Richard Maltby. So this is a good one. So what did the coaches mean when they said the best thing that happened to Jordan Batoho was sending him home? So. Last about this time, a little over a year ago, before spring ball started, we had an insider report at Irish Breakdown where, and this is back when we had a message board, and I cannot wait till we get it back. I'm getting very frustrated with that, but hopefully that'll be back within the next month or so, uh, is what I'm hoping. And see what they're telling me. We'll see. But I had a report that came out that was from our insight, you know, some of the sources I had that basically was he was getting pretty close to being sent home, even if everyone else wasn't. He just, he, he was not adjusting well and, and not doing the things that, you know, he needed to do to adapt to Notre Dame and was, you know, getting in some trouble doing dumb freshman things, which you do enough dumb freshman things, you, you're not being brought back. And it's not the Notre Dame football coach's decision when everybody had to go home. Right. So when the pandemic hit and they canceled the spring and then they ended up making the decision as a school to, to do basically distance learning for the rest of the semester and everybody got sent home. Jordan had to go home and back to his family, which is a, is a, from what I'm told, a very strong family, very supportive family, but also family that'll, you know, say, Hey, you, you you need to get yourself going. And so him going home kind of stopped that bleeding, but then also there was a lot of learning lessons he had to learn from the coaches, from the family say, Hey, you want to be a part of what we're doing here. We want you. You're a great, you have great talent potential, but when you come back, you got to have a different attitude. You got to be more serious about going to class and doing the right things and following the rules and giving us the effort and showing up on time and those kind of things. And when he came back, he didn't have any more strikes against him because he got sent home and it was a time to it was a time to reflect and grow up. And he came back with a different m- mentality and now in the spring he's even built on that even more and there's a lot of excitement about him. So does that answer your question Richard? Let me know, but that's what they're referring to is basically being sent home forced him to grow up a lot because he was making a lot of mistakes and there were some not ultimatums, but there were some there were some come to Jesus conversations with Jordan Patelho between him and the Notre Dame coaches and, and him and his his family. All right, let's see if we have some more questions here. A lot of conversation going on in the chat. I love it. Y'all love it. Um, this is great. You guys we're really like the community we're building. 
Okay. Thomas Leonard, who do you think is going to be the spring game all-star that probably won't see the field this season? I have no idea. And and I am not looking forward to the conversations that we're going to have if some quarterback doesn't play great and we have to listen to people talk about how the spring game should impact he, why he should or shouldn't play or some guy has a great spring game that we know hasn't isn't a legitimate contender. I mean, was it Nate Montana won a spring game at Brian Kelly's first spring game MVP? The spring game is a fun time. It's not meant to be something we necessarily take a lot from in regards to this guy's going to start. This guy's a great future. Doesn't doesn't mean we can't learn some things, but we need to always be careful about putting too much emphasis on that. Dylan Hoffman asks, is Lorenzo is Lawrence Keyes going to see significant time this year? In your opinion, seems to be having an impressive camp so far, thus far. It's way too early to definitely be locking him into that. We have still what, six more, five more practices plus the spring game all the summer workouts, and then over 20 fall camp practices before that's going to shake out. What I'm excited about is I'm hearing good things about Lawrence, but then we're seeing him make big play after big play after big play in every practice. And that is huge because I think when when you go back to 2019 when Lawrence got a chance to play early, because remember uh, you had Braden Lindsey was hurt and, and Michael Young was hurt and there was, there was a lot going on. So he was thrust into the lineup. He made a huge third down catch against Louisville of a ball that was away from his body. It was on a slant route. And then he set up a score against Georgia on a great outside one-on-one play. So anytime Lawrence has been given a shot to play and make plays, that's exactly what he does. He makes plays. He's a talented, talented player who has some of that explosiveness that Brian Kelly always says they don't have. When he was right, it wasn't on the field, but they had it. It was just sitting on the sidelines. And, and he was also – he battled in illness last year, and I think that hurt him a little bit too. He's healthy now, and I'm excited to see uh, what he's going to do. All right. This is a good question. Now, David, I'm sorry, but Vince is not here anymore. Vincenzo is not here. When can I come to the crib and eat some baked ziti? (laughs) You're going to have to ask Vince that one. Although I think I probably make more Italian food than he does because I'm not Italian. I'm Irish, but my wife is Italian, so she's taught me how to make really good Italian food. Um, How does the coaching staff determine who plays during the course of the game between head head coach coordinators and positional coaches? So they're all involved in that conversation. Those are things that are established during the week. They make decisions about, okay, here's our rotation for the week. Here's who's going to play. Here's the the type of scenarios in which we want to get these guys on the field. Uh, These are the times when this guy is going to, you know, we're going to put him in on this play we have designed for him. So you think of an example of like the USC Notre Dame game in 19, you know, they put Brain Lindsay in to kind of set him up for that big reverse. That was something that you talk about. The position coaches and the coordinators are ultimately going to set that initial look, and the coordinator is going to have the final say in most instances, at least at the skill positions. Offensive line is a little different. Jeff Quinn is naturally going to have a little bit more of a say than a receiver's coach or a running back's coach. But then Brian Kelly has always been a guy that will step in and say, hey, I want this guy to play or I want that to happen. And if the head coach says that, then that's ultimately what you got to do. All right. Here we go. Um, Christopher asks, how big of an issue is Carell and Christophic being sub 300 pounds? It's not an issue to me. Robert Hainsey was under 300 pounds his entire Notre Dame career. Zach Martin was under 300 pounds for all but one year of his Notre Dame career. It's not about the weight. It's about whether or not you can move people whether or not you have power and punch and a strong lower body. Those are the things that matter to me. I mean, Zeke Carell at 295 is is at 295 at like six two and a half. He's going to have more of a strong base than a six seven guy at 305 is going to have. So I, I'm not too worried about that. I, I It doesn't matter to me, to be completely honest with you. 
Jason asks, uh, the transfer portal has been very quiet so far with the spring semester ending soon for a lot of schools. Do you think Notre Dame picks up a- another transfer this year? Cornerback, safety, DNO, tackle help. So c- let me address a couple of those positions as, as we talk about this. I won't be shocked if Notre Dame picks up a grad transfer. The problem, Jason, is I think they're going to have to lose somebody before they can gain somebody because they're, they're, they're really close to already being, you know, I mean, this year it's not as important because you don't have the 85 scholarship limit, but at the same time, there's still some deep position groups and you don't necessarily want to bring a guy in and then that causes you to lose two young guys that you're going to really need that next year. So that's what I mean by they're going to have to lose somebody to then be able to bring that in. To me, O-tackle help, I don't want it. I don't want a graduate transferred offensive tackle, develop or offensive guard or center. And, and I've heard that the staff is looking at interior players in the past. We'll see if that continues after the year. But here's the deal. Number one, coach up the guys you have. And if a, and if a guy was a difference maker, this is my whole thing about the transfer portal. If a guy was a difference maker, he'd be going to the NFL if he was a grad transfer, right? That That's the part of it. Now, They've opened up transferring in, in general. So maybe, a, but if a guy's a difference maker and he's an underclassman, chances are he's not leaving the school he's at. I, I don't, you know, and if a guy's buried somewhere, what are the odds that a guy's buried and he's going to come to Notre Dame and beat out a bunch of other guys? So I just, I don't know if we're going to see Notre Dame really get a lot. The other thing too is, and Jason, I, I know you know this, it's a lot harder for Notre Dame to get grad tra- or get transfers in than it is grad transfers and high school recruits just because it's a tougher admission sell. If a kid goes to Alabama or Clemson's a better example, uh, Georgia, I mean, excuse me, is a better example. If a kid goes to Georgia and he takes the classes that I'm told the kids take when they go to Georgia, the kid's going to have a hard time transferring to Notre Dame just because he's not going to have any credit. It's like, dude, you're basically, we're not taking any of these classes. You're going to have to start over from scratch and Notre Dame's not going to do that. So that can be very, very challenging. Safety help, I could see. Safety help, I could see that. I could see corner help, although, again, it's going to have to be a pretty darn good football player. I think those are probably the two positions where I could see Notre Dame benefiting from a transfer situation would be corner and safety. Possibly linebacker. I don't think they need DN help, to be completely honest with you. I think it's another situation of coach up the guys you have. Between Foskey and Batelho at at Viper, you've got Myron Tungvaloa, you've got Justin Adamiola, Nana at Big End. I don't see a guy now. Look, if 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 a, a sophomore that's going to be a top ten NFL draft pick in 2022 wants to transfer another name, when I look at that guy, yeah, that's true of any position. But I just I, that that that's just not going to happen more often than not. So I don't I don't think that's um that's going to be there. Fortnite Blaze, I see your question. Vince is not here, so I'm not going to ask it because that is for Vince. Maybe next week we'll you know we'll try to get that question in a little sooner so Vince can answer it. Um. All right, Dylan Hoffman asks, we've spoken about this before, but is BK starting to get more involved with the top dogs in the recruiting trail from articles? It seems like he's made contact with each of the big three running backs. So we have talked about this before. The last month now, month and a half, is the most active I've ever seen Brian Kelly in the recruiting trail, which is great, great news. And this is why this is why Notre Dame is making movement. And we're not just seeing it with the big three running backs and the top dogs. We're seeing it with a lot of 2023 kids. We're seeing it with guys who are good prospects, but not necessarily great prospects. We're seeing a lot more talking to recruits and talking to prospects, talking to coaches. We're seeing Brian Kelly a lot more engaged now than he has been, which is a phenomenal sign. 
that could be the difference between Notre Dame having the 10th or 12th ranked recruiting class and Notre Dame having the 5th or 6th ranked recruiting class. Is Brian Kelly not just doing it now, but continuing that the whole year. If he can continue this through December where he's being more involved, it's going to be great for Notre Dame, which is why we've been pushing for it to happen for so long. Um, all right, let's see here. Uh, Dom Rorty asks, would the success of Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler highlight that while O-line recruiting has been well-ranked, it has lacked players with the ability to play at 310-plus? Dom, I just don't think that matters. I know that Notre Dame fans – I've seen a lot of Notre Dame fans making an issue about this. I don't think that matters. Liam Eikenberg wasn't 310 pounds, and he was a consensus All-American last year. He was a first-team All-ACC player, a finalist for the Lombardi Award, and he was voted by the, the ACC coaches and defensive coordinators as the best blocker in the league. He was sub-300. Robert Hainsey was a tremendous player. He's going to be a, probably a third-round draft pick. He was less than 300 pounds last year. Jarrett Patterson was barely 300 pounds, and he was one of the three or four best centers in the country the last couple of years. I just don't think it. this whole notion of you have to be 310-plus. There are certain offensive schemes where you need a bigger body. Notre Dame does not have an offensive scheme where you necessarily need a bigger body. Tommy Kramer was the second biggest offensive lineman Notre Dame had last year. He was probably among the starters the least effective in, in that regards. So I just I just don't think that that's as big of an issue as people do. I think the bigger issue, however, is the fact that in the last couple of years, you have not gotten enough snaps for guys like Andrew Kristoffic. You've not gotten them enough work. You've not coached them up enough to have them ready to play. You're moving them around too much. I think it speaks more to that than it does about the ability to play at 310 plus. I just don't think that matters. I, I know that a lot of people talk about that, but to me, it just doesn't matter. Would I like a guy to be 315 or 320 and be super athletic? Sure. But as we saw at Notre Dame this past year, I mean, they, they had arguably the best offensive line in the country until Jarrett Patterson got hurt, and they had, what, two guys over 310 pounds? And if you go back and look at the grades, it was their fourth and fifth highest graded offensive lineman, and that would be Aaron Banks and Tommy Kramer. So their three best offensive linemen this year when everybody was healthy were the guys that were under 310 pounds. So to me, I, that stuff just doesn't matter as much to me um, as it does to others. It, it doesn't. Now, at Alabama – it matters more because their system is predicated on having big, thick linemen that can move people. That's just the type of offensive run game system that they utilize. Notre Dame doesn't have that kind of system where it's a requirement. But if you have a 325-pound guy, like, for example, Deontay Brown, really good guard at Alabama, probably going to get drafted this year. He would not fit Notre Dame's offensive system. He just wouldn't. It's just a different system. Uh, you need a little bit more beef to do the power gap scheme type of stuff. And they'll still run inside zone, but they they run more gap scheme stuff, which requires you have to have big moving interior players, like moving meaning they can come off and move people. Notre Dame doesn't have that same requirement with the system that they run. Dylan Hoffman asks, any idea or guess on Nwankpa's top three schools at the moment? Uh, other than Ohio State, I couldn't I couldn't tell you who his other top two or three schools are. I, I you know Notre Dame's going to get a visit from him. He is going to be on campus from the 18th to the 20th. We'll find out. We talked about this earlier, Dylan. It, with a lot of these kids, especially like Milwaukee, we may know who the leader is, but who those next two or three schools is a lot of times going to be determined by who who he gets. All right, here we go. Jason says, there's a difference in playing at 300 pounds and being a natural 300-pounder. Spindler and Fisher carry the weight, unlike guys like Heinish, Gibbons, and Hainsey. I get that, but so Gibbons, first of all, is a natural 300-pounder. He is a mover. 
Heinish, I agree with you completely. Uh, same thing with Myron Tungvaloa Mosa. He was listed at like, what, 290, 285, 290 the last couple of years. He doesn't play that big. Mike Golick's another example. Mike Golick was over 300 pounds at his final year at Notre Dame. He didn't play like a 300-pounder. Robert Hainsey, to me, um, was, a, was an outstanding offensive lineman for Notre Dame for the last four years. So, yeah, he but he was under 300 pounds. It's not a re- the requirement that people think it is, especially um, for, for Notre Dame. So uh, here we go. Gabe Weiss, do you think the one-time transfer rule will hurt Notre Dame more than most schools? Uh, in my opinion, they will have more guys leave than they can bring in due to academic restrictions, especially with transfers. Gabe, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. So here's the thing: I'm very anti the new transfer rule, but not because of anything related to Notre Dame. I actually think this rule is going to help Notre Dame, and, and allow me to explain that in two regards. Here's why it helps Notre Dame. Number one. It doesn't necessarily. It'll open up a few more opportunities for transfers, and and now keep in mind, like I said earlier, if a kid goes to another school and he takes a bunch of BS classes that schools, some of these schools insist that kids take, not force, but insist that kids take, that kid's not coming to Notre Dame. But not every kid's like that. Some kids will say, "Look, I'm going to Georgia or Clemson or Alabama or Ohio State, and pick a school that people don't think is a top academic school, and those kids care about academics and they'll take those classes." Christian Wilkins if he wanted to, could have transferred to Notre Dame at any minute and been accepted as a transfer. Uh, Trevor Lawrence could have transferred and been taken to Notre Dame if he so chose. So there are going to be some guys like that that they'll be able to get. Now, the other situation is that, um, uh, sorry, my wife is leaving, so I wanted to wave goodbye, but uh, warned you all that that would happen. But uh, so it'll open up some opportunities for them to get players where it's not going to hurt Notre Dame as much is look, this is something I've learned the last four or five years. There have been a lot of players that have thought about transferring, wanted to transfer, but decided not to either their choice or parental pressure, because the thing was you're going to stay and you're going to get your degree. What's going to continue happening in Notre Dame for the most part is what we've already seen, which is guys stay for three years, get their degrees and leave especially with Notre Dame bringing in so many now uh, mid-year players, some early enrollees, because now those guys are on pace to graduate after their junior year. So the Jack Lamb situations, the Micah Jones type players, Jordan Jenmark Heath type players, the guys that are early enrollees and graduate early that will leave after three years because they're not starting or they're not where they should be. Notre Dame's not going to lose a ton of underclassmen because part of the reason these guys came to Notre Dame was the degree. And that means guys are going to tend to be more patient to get that opportunity because of that. That's just what I've experienced from talking to different people. It says, yeah, my kid's frustrated. Well, why is he staying? Well, he wants to get that degree and he wants another shot. So the, the another shot is going to be is going to be given and you're going to take advantage of it because you also have the influence of getting that degree where at other schools, it's just kind of like, I don't like where I'm playing, so I'm just going to leave. Where at Notre Dame, it's like, yeah, I don't like where I'm playing, but I am two years in and I am a year away from graduating from Notre Dame. Let me stick it out for another year, and then I can transfer and play two years. So I think those are the things that are, are – are, it's not going to hurt Notre Dame. I think, if anything, it's going to be a benefit to Notre Dame. The other part of it is this. Notre Dame now has greater opportunity to tell some kids, hey, look, we love you. You can stay. You have a spot on our roster. They're not going to force kids out, but they're going to tell more kids maybe. But, look, you're, you're not going to play a lot for us. And we understand if you want to transfer, we'll help you find a place that may happen a little bit more. Again, one or two guys a year. What that then does 
is that can then open up some opportunities in the recruiting classes for more players. Not so much to replace them with transfers, because I don't want Notre Dame to get into a situation where they're just bringing in transfers all the time. Recruit high school players, develop high school players, and then occasionally fill a need with a grad transfer like we've seen. Cody Riggs back in 2014. We saw with Nick McLeod last year. I'm so glad Nick McLeod came last year. But it's those little filling a role. It's not just this massive five or six starters. Football is still a game of continuity. It's still a game of 11 guys working in harmony towards one objective. And that's why you don't see Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State being guys that are teams that are just bringing in a bunch of transfers. They will get a kid here and there if it fits a role, if he fits a position, you know, Ohio State with Justin Fields. But by and large, they are developing guys that they've recruited out of high school, and they're winning with those players. That's predominantly who it needs to be. That's where I think Notre Dame will be. But I do think this could then open up opportunities for a guy here, a guy there, for them to say, hey, look, it's best that, you know, you're just not going to play and that kid's going to decide to leave, and then they can fill it with the high school recruit. All right, Shannon Hyduke says, last week you guys talked about rivalries and teams you love to hate. Ohio State comes to mind. I know they play in 22 and 23, but why do you think Notre Dame and Ohio State haven't had a better rivalry? Uh, honestly, Shannon, it's because they haven't played a lot. I, I think that's a big part of it. Notre Dame and Ohio State, I'm actually going to pull this up while we're talking, but Notre Dame and Ohio State haven't played a ton. I mean, just in my lifetime, just since I started, you know, really became a Notre Dame fan was in 1988, They've played four times, and two of those times were in bowl games. They've only played six times total. Uh, when, when you look at those teams play, they played in 1935 and 1936. They didn't play again from 36 until 1995, and then they played that back-to-back -back years, 95 and 96. And then they didn't play again for another 10 years in 2006 in a bowl game, and then it was another 10 years before they played again in another bowl game. So you can't have a rivalry with a program that you don't play. And, and I think that's a big part of it. And I just don't know if if there's a lot for Notre Dame to, to, to have Ohio State on the schedule all the time. It, this was true when Ohio State wasn't dominant, and it's definitely true now that Ohio State is dominant. I do like the notion of having them, you know, a home-and-home home every decade I'd be okay with, but I just I don't think it's a, a one that's going to happen a ton. We have a lot more questions. I'm going to try to get through these quickly. Gabe Weiss, do you think Estime will, will take a good amount of SIBO's rep? Seems like short yardage is both of their forte. Could he? Yes. Do it, is it a foregone conclusion? No, it's not. He's going to have to earn that because Sebo is not going to go down without a fight, and it's going to be tougher for one of those freshmen to, to do it. But you know, Sebo is a is a good football player. He's done some good things. It'll be a battle. He's going to have to keep the job and win the job. Uh, but um, those guys will have a chance just because they're they're really good players. Some love for Sebo. Sebo uh, never get almost never gets a chance, but when he does, he comes through. Remember Duke? Yes, agree. Uh, Notre Dame 2164. I like Sebo a lot. Very hard runner. A lot of love um, for that. This is an interesting one. Gabe, wh what do you think is Brian Kelly's number one coaching attribute? That's a tough one. I think ultimately Brian Kelly has an understanding of what it takes to win. Uh, I do believe he has that. I don't think some of the decisions he makes in regards to bigger picture things have always worked as well. I think he's made some some coaching mistakes, as all coaches do. I think the difference between Brian Kelly and Urban Meyer, for example, is Urban will quickly get out of his mistakes. He quickly realized that Everett Withers was not the answer. He quickly realized that the 
that the Ed, you know, the Tom Beck Ed Warner combination was not the answer. And he quickly made those moves and corrected them. And those moves ended up being benefits where it takes Brian Kelly almost to the point of failure before he'll, he'll make those changes. At least that's what he's done in the past. You look at Paul Longo, Brian Van Gorder, Autry Denson, guys like that. Charlie Molnar, it, you know, was about the only one that I can remember him moving on from quickly. And he probably should have moved on even faster than he did. So, I, I, but I think he knows what it takes to win. He knows the kind of big picture over the course of the year, the kind of work. He understands that building a football team is a year-round thing. And in when he puts people in place to implement his plan, I think it works. The problem is he hasn't always had the right people to implement his plan. But Brian Kelly understands what it takes to build a team. And and partly that's kind of my frustration is, is because if he would make some of those better decisions and be more engaged in some of those areas – I think this team could take that final step, especially from a recruiting standpoint. And then again, an offensive philosophy standpoint, which has gone back to who you used to be. And some more love for Sebo. Uh, he's a very likable player. All right, Dylan Hoffman, any word on the Jalen Sneed front? Do you think it go, it's, it's going to come down to Sneed or Cheeks? Uh, which would, would I rather take? The word on Sneed is what I said at the time, which is, yes, it's great that he's going to visit. And I think Notre Dame's in a great position there, but it, I was not feeling like it was going to be a thing where he visited he was going to commit. Jalen has said from day one, he wants to take visits. He's going to visit Oregon probably. He's going to visit. He's going to try to get to Clemson. Uh, do I think Notre Dame is in a good position? Absolutely. Did I ever think that he was on the verge of committing? Not publicly, maybe privately, but the reason he's not going public is because he wants to visit. And Notre Dame generally does not take commitments from players who are still going to visit other schools, which I think is smart. So, yeah, I would say – that is where they are with Jalen Sneed. And now I'm curious to see when they can get that official visit set up and get him on campus again. But I, I like where they're at. Could it come down to Cheeks or Sneed? Potentially. It depends on what happens to Junior Tui Alamaka. If they take Junior Tui Alamaka, then, then yeah, it's going to come down to one of those two guys because I don't think they're going to take five guys. There's a chance that if Tui Alamaka ends up going to Texas, which I think is Notre Dame's toughest competition right now, then there's a scenario in which you could take Sneed and Cheeks. I, I, I believe that you could. So it may not end up coming down to that. But if I could only have one of those two, I'd take Jalen Sneed. I just I think he's a better a, a higher ceiling player. I just think he's more dynamic, a little bit more versatile, and just a just a better football player. But but Sebastian Cheeks is also a really good football player. Jalen Sneed to me is a top 100 recruit. Sebastian Cheeks is a top 150 recruit. That's the difference. So again, both really good football players. If you get either one of them, it's a big pickup. But if I could only take one, I would take Jalen Sneed. Gabe asks, uh, is it true that Notre Dame takes a special coach at the helm? Not everyone can do it. Who do you think are other coaches that would fit the position at Notre Dame? Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into that another time. I've talked a little bit about this, the, the part about who would fit. I, I've mentioned some guys I like, but there's still some emerging coaches that I need to see what they do over the next couple of years. It takes a special coach to win at Notre Dame. Notre Dame, in my opinion, is the hardest place to win at if you don't have a special coach. I, I do think it's harder to win at Notre Dame. I don't think it's too hard to win at Notre Dame. I don't think it's so hard that you can't win at Notre Dame. That's the difference. But you can't just hire anybody because what I think happens is if you're not if you're if you're just a good coach, you can win at Bama because you know you can recruit well enough. There's other things that go into recruiting that help you out. The, the LSU, you don't have to be a great coach to win there. I don't think Les Miles is a great coach. I think he's above average coach, but he won a lot at LSU because that's such a phenomenal state and there's other things that factor into it. If you're just an okay coach, you're going to fail at Notre Dame because it's a it's a hard place to win 
for many reasons, and some of it don't have anything to do with football. So I just, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. John A1 says, Tariq Bracey has had a couple INTs in the practice clips. How do you co- how do coaches gauge where he is mentally? I think it's just showing up every day. It, it's it's reading his body language. It's it's when he gets beat, does he come back the next play? Or when he gets beat, does that kind of then set up, he gets beat on the next rep, the next rep, the next rep? You look at his body language. You know, when he gets beat, is he jumping up and pissed off and smacking his hands because he's mad that he got beat? Or is he does he put his head down? You know, does he kind of walk back and you know not want to take a rep? Is he is he less apt to jump in the next time against a guy that beat him the last time and, and won him back? I mean, I want to see a cornerback that gets beat, ticked off. I want to see him run back, and I want to see the next time that guy's out there in any situation, say, hey, coach, let me get this rep. Let me get this rep. Let me get back at him. Those are the things that kind of tell you that a guy is is mentally prepared to handle playing corner, which means you're going to get beat. Julian Love was an All-American. He got beat sometimes. Shane Walton was an All-American. He got beat sometimes. Todd Light was an All-American in a top 10 NFL draft pick. He got beat sometimes. It doesn't shouldn't happen often, but then how do you respond to it? And the problem for Tariq is he didn't respond to it well. It, was, it would affect his technique. He would overplay receivers because he was afraid to get beat, so he wouldn't find the ball. It just everything that made him such a makes him such a good player would be out the window. And, and that kind of thing, that kind of thing can't have can happen. All right. Let's see. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this earlier. That was a big, big play. Very, but to your point, seems like it was a pretty nice heads up play. Exactly. That's the instinct part that we're seeing from Rocco Spindler that uh that to me is is really impressive. Brandon asks about do you see Devin Moore as a corner or a safety? There's a pick in by Tom Loy for Notre Dame to land him. Yeah, we talked about Tom having that pick in earlier. Um, as you guys know, we don't do crystal balls and future casts and all that other stuff here, but I'm hearing the same things Tom is hearing, and if if Tom is, I think maybe even hearing a little bit more because he's putting in the crystal ball. You know, we'll we'll see how that goes. He's a safety for me. He's a safety that can cover. He's not a corner. He's a safety that can cover for me. Um, here we go. So Dylan asks. So Tosh uh, isn't underperforming at spring ball this far. I don't hear a ton about it. I mean, you're not gonna hear a ton about it. We we watch these clips. It's three minutes worth of clips. You know, if somebody's getting, you're going to see him getting beat. We're just, we, nobody should be making opinions, strong opinions about what they're seeing from these three minute clips on anybody, much less offensive linemen. So it's, it's like, he's still getting a lot of first team reps. And if he wasn't at least showing them something, he would not still be getting a bunch of first team reps. Uh, I don't see it. I mean, I, Brandon, you say this, he's saying they're recruiting corner. That's not what I've been told. I've been told they like him at safety, but they like him as a guy that can cover. That's the thing. I'd be a little surprised if they actually bring him in as a corner. All right. I'll ask about that. But the last time I asked about it, I was told he was a safety. Searcher Green asks, any idea where we stand with Jake Taylor? That is the offensive lineman from Las Vegas, Bishop Gorman. Uh, I think they're in a good place there. I think Oklahoma is still the leader right now. But I think it's a situation where that is a kid as much as anybody in the class that when he gets to Notre Dame, a visit could be a game changer for him. And Mike Elson talked about this. Visiting Notre Dame is so important. Uh, very, very important. They need guys to, to be able to be on campus and see Notre Dame. And Jake Taylor, to me, is a kid that could see his recruitment change more than anybody else in regards to getting on campus. Um, Jason asks, what incoming recruits do you wish were on campus for the spring? I'll go with Chance Tucker and JoJo Johnson. Makes sense. 
um, for me, it's it's Prince Collie and uh, Deion Colsey are the two for me. The reason I say that is I think if Prince was on campus early, he'd have a shot to to be in the rotation at Rover immediately. I think when you know Jack Kaiser and Isaiah Pryor getting a full spring, they may have more distance from him. But if he was on campus now, there would be no distance, at least not with Isaiah Pryor. I think Kaiser would still start, but I think it'd be very hard to keep Prince Collie off the field if he were on campus right now. Uh, same with Deion Colsey. They don't really have a big guy at receiver right now. Uh, with Kevin Austin banged up, they don't really have that kind of that big one-on-one guy. And I like at least one of those guys, and I'd like to see Dion kind of get that chance. It's going to be harder for him to do that in the fall. If he had the 15 extra reps, I could see a situation where he he could have maybe maybe done that. Josh Lake asks, more impact short-term, Styles or Fisher? Fisher, because I, I think Fisher's going to have a chance to start. I think it's it's going to be a little harder for Lorenzo to make a, a, a the kind of impact I think a potential starter or co-starter could make it at offensive tackle. The the exception would be is if Lorenzo can can win a return job in the punt return game, but you know that would also require Notre Dame to allow him to return punts more frequently. Um, oh, here's here's an interesting one. Notre Dame two one six four. After this year, where do you think Kyle Hamilton will rank all time as a Notre Dame defensive player? I mean that's. I think right now you're 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 trying to see if it, it, where is he going to be in regards to you know the best safety of the Brian Kelly era. Harrison Smith is that guy right now. Kyle has a chance to be that, but we need to see him. Um, you know, we need to see him have it. You know, he's had one really good year, really good freshman year for a freshman, real strong sophomore year. But there's still a lot he's got to do. He's still a lot of improvement he's got to make, and I want to see him actually do it before we stack him up. I mean, right now his resume doesn't touch guys like Jalen Smith, guys like even Stephon Tuitt, guys like Manti Teo, Harrison Smith. So, you know, right now he's not even a top five defensive player in the Brian Kelly era, in my opinion. Now, could he be after next year? Sure, which is your question was after this year. But I just – I have a hard time projecting that. I want to see him do it first, and then we can talk about it. But could he have a chance at being one of the five best defensive players of the Brian Kelly era? Absolutely. Absolutely, when it's all said and done. Because who would your five be right now? And you got to put Manti in that conversation, right? You got to put Julian Love in that conversation. You got to put Jalen Smith in that conversation. You got to put Stefan Tu in that conversation. Um, Harrison Smith's in that conversation, right? Uh, with what Jeremiah Wusukor Mo has done the last two years, he's got to be in that conversation, I believe. So to me, all those guys right now would rank ahead of Kyle Hamilton. He's going to have to have a pretty special junior year to to be in that mix and he's going to have a chance to do it he can absolutely thrust himself into that conversation all right tool worker says hit the like button please do we appreciate that um searcher green asks what is your opinion of kevin winston as a safety recruit so he is an interesting kid he's kind of on my my list of guys that i just don't have a strong opinion on yet because we just don't have junior film He's a very good – he's from the D.C. area, very good downhill player. I just don't have enough film of him, and he's a sophomore, to, to feel as good about him as some guys who I've seen play more. And that's why I just don't talk a ton about him. Um, yeah, so Thomas Leonard is Vince a gym teacher. That's one of the things he does. Yes, he is a teacher at the local high school. All right, he's also the head baseball coach for his team. Uh, Michael Scheller asks – 
All right. What's the latest with 2022 linebacker recruiting? Obviously limited spots, but where's Notre Dame currently with Snead, Cheeks, and Junior? Uh, thanks, Brian and Vince. We talked a little bit about Snead, about Snead earlier. Uh, Cheeks, that's a that that remains a mystery for me because he always says great things about Notre Dame. Whenever we interview him, you know, you get the impression like, yeah, Notre Dame's the school to beat, but then he just he hasn't pulled the trigger. Now the question is, is he not able to pull the trigger or is he not willing to pull the trigger? And I don't think we have an answer to that yet. At least I don't. Uh, so I'll admit that I don't know the answer to that one. Junior Tula Alamaka, I, I think part of the reason we're not hearing as much about him and Cheeks is they're they're playing their junior years right now. And I think we some people have to understand that they're not going to be making visits right now because they're playing their season. For me, Michael, we won't really know where things stand with those guys until they get on campus. And I think with Junior, I think Notre Dame is in a great place with him. I think Notre Dame is his leader, but they got to get him on campus. So that that's going to be the thing. Get him on campus, and then we'll have a, a conversation. Um, Jordan says, you're you're my favorite Notre Dame analyst, by the way. I love that you aren't wishy-washy in your takes like the rest. I appreciate that, Jordan. I My commitment to, to y'all will always be, look, I, I, I used to be a guy that tried to be more positive. And I get criticized for it. And, you know, then when I'm critical, I get criticized for it. And what I realized is, is no matter what take you have, if you're a homer, you're going to get criticized by some people. If you're a, if you're a constantly negative person, you're going to get criticized by some people. So what I decided to do is just give your honest take. And if it's critical, go with it. And at the end of the day, I can put my head on the pillow and know that I was honest with y'all. I gave you my honest assessment, whether I'm right or wrong. And my job is to not make Brian Kelly happy or make Tommy Reese happy or to make Jeff Quinn like me and, and respond to my texts or whatever. My job is to give you all um, my honest opinion. And if I do that, I can live with it. And, I, and I'm happy with what I do. And, and I enjoy what I do. And that's the thing is if I can be honest and give my honest assessment, I enjoy that. I like doing that. And I think people appreciate that. And that's what I'm going to be. And it's not trying to be different from another site or they're, they've, you know, establish the Homer market. So I'm going to be this. That's not it. I'm just going to be honest and people can like it or they cannot like it. And that's basically, um, basically how it's going to be. Uh, Preston, we talked about Devin Moore already. So, uh, if you could kind of go, go back and ask that one, we also talked about Kevin, Kevin Winston. My understanding is he's a safety prospect, but you know, we'll, we'll see about that one. All right. Dylan asks, do you think the success of Notre Dame, Clemson, Oregon will play into the into effect with the decision of Cyrus Moss? One of his comments about making a decision was he wants to see how the 2021 plays out. Well, if he's saying that, then yes, it's gonna it's gonna factor into it. But normally when kids say that, there's more to it than just winning and losing. There's okay, for Notre Dame, it's okay, how does Coach Alexander, how does Coach Freeman's off defense look? Uh, if if this school has a coach that you know does Brent Venables get a head coaching job? Does the defensive coordinator at you know Tim DeRoyter, I believe is the defensive coordinator at Oregon does he get a head coaching job? What's his system going to look like this year? You know uh, who who leaves? You know so if if uh, Kayvon Thibodeau comes back for next year, maybe Cyrus doesn't want to go there and sit behind him for a year. I'm just I'm not saying that's true. I'm just making an example of how the year plays out. It's not just winning and losing. Okay, Notre Dame had the best record of all of them. I'm going there. It's not how it works. It's a lot of different factors. That's part of it, uh, but that's not that's not a, a major factor. Devin and Ashley says, any news on who is going to start at wide receiver? No, it's way too early for that. And and honestly, from what I'm told and what I'm hearing, who starts at receiver is not going to be as important. It's going to be looking at who is in the game when it's on the line. There, From what I'm told, we'll see, is it's going to be about – 
a, a deeper rotation than we've seen, which I'm happy about. Now, in the past, Devin, I mean, th- this is one of those things where in the past, yeah, who started mattered because the starters would dominate the reps. I don't think that's going to happen as much this year. Uh, who will start at quarterback? I don't have the answer. I think it's going to be Jack Cohn, but I, I think Drew Pine's making this a legitimately hard decision. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see how this goes. All right. Uh, DBZ, can Jordan Johnson be the dude at wide receiver this year? Kenny, yes. Will he get that opportunity? Will he take advantage of that opportunity if it comes? I don't know. We'll have to see that. I haven't seen enough. I mean, I haven't seen anything from him in the clips. He's very, very rarely put in the clips. That doesn't mean anything. Uh, it just means we haven't seen enough of him, and, and I haven't really heard a whole lot about him from people I've talked to. Again, doesn't mean he's not playing well. It just means I haven't heard a lot about him. I'll do some digging over the next couple of days, try to see if I can get a better idea of that. We'll find out. All right. Steven also kind of asked a similar question. Uh, you always have the best videos on Notre Dame football. Who do you feel will start at quarterback, and how do you see this uh, the ND versus SC game going? Well, this matters to you, Steven, because you're out in L.A., but uh, we just talked about who's going to start at quarterback. I still think it's going to be Jack Cohn. The NDSC game is going to be interesting, so it's going to be back at Notre Dame this year. I think SC is a talented team at, at certain spots. I think their skill is going to be – yes, they lost some Tyler Vaughns. They lost Amon Ross St. Brown. But they got Drake London coming back. They've got some other young receivers coming back. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate you uh, very, very much. Um we will we will definitely do that. I appreciate the the chat. I I, I think for the, me the USC game is going to be one of. I think USC is going to be really good this year, but I could see this game playing out a lot like the 2017 game. Not from a 49 to 14 standpoint, Stephen, because I don't think it'll be that big of a blowout. But Notre Dame just so absolutely dominated the trenches in 2017 that it negated the skill. I mean, Sam Darnold was the quarterback for that team. They had Ronald Jones at running back. That team was loaded with skill players, but it didn't matter because they dominated the line of scrimmage. USC lost their best offensive lineman, Elijah Vera Tucker. Their offensive line wasn't that great to begin with, and I know they get rid of the ball quickly and those kind of things, but if you can't protect your quarterback, then I'm just going to come up and press and take away your quick stuff and, and force your quarterback to hold the ball longer, and we're going to eat you up. Uh, and then when we mix up our coverages enough defensively, we're going to force your quarterback into some mistakes trying to get rid of the ball quickly. So I just think Notre Dame is just going to be able to dominate the trenches, dominate the line of scrimmage, especially with their defense, that I think that's going to play a big role in why I think Notre Dame should win that game and probably win it somewhat convincingly. All right. CS, Coach, what do you think of the safety board after Nwankpa? Who do you think are gap closers and recruits you want? I'm going to have a big board coming out next week at at safety, but I don't know if there's necessarily any gap closers there. But as far as guys that can be part of a really good safety tandem that can be part of an overall defense that closes the gap, there's several on the list. Jake Pope we talked about earlier. I think he's on that conversation Devin Moore's in that conversation. He's a guy that I think could give you a really good safety group. Um, And even if they are recruiting at corner, my bet would be they're recruiting at corner to eventually move him to either safety or the nickel spot. That third corner or third safety look would be a really good one for him. I could see him doing that and as if not being a back end safety, but I don't see Devin Moore being an outside corner at the next level. I think he could play it, but not play it to the level that he could play safety or that nickel spot. I could see that. Uh, uh, Sherrod Colville is a guy that I really like uh, at safety. He could be part of a a a really good safety group 
Jaden Jaden Mangum's an interesting one because I really like him at safety, but my big fear with him is I don't know if he wants to play safety. And he says he'd play whatever he wants, but every camp I've seen him at, and we saw him recently at every camp I've seen him with highlights, he plays receiver. And you can say, well, that's what they want me to play. Well, if you wanted to play safety and you said, hey, I want to play safety at this camp, they'd let you play safety. Uh, we saw some kids at the Columbus camp, for example, that play both ways. And so they would jump in at receiver or jump in at DB and take reps. He didn't do that. He just took receiver reps. So I just don't know. Uh, I don't know if he's kind of that guy. Here's an interesting comment. I was really excited about both Wimbush. Uh, was that Notre Dame recruited the wrong guys or they screwed up their development? Deshaun Kaiser's the only four-star we've seen work out. He was a lower-end four-star. And I don't even know if we could even say that worked out because his last year as Notre Dame, he's a starter of a 4-8 and eight football team. And his off-the-field shenanigans and lack of leadership was a big part of that. Uh, you know, to me, I mean, you, if you want to say a four-star that worked out, I mean, Ever Golson worked out more than Deshaun Kaiser kid did, and he was a four-star recruit as well. For me, honestly, Jordan, I think it's a development problem. And if you go look, Brandon Wimbush is the ultimate example of that. If you go back and watch Brandon as a senior in high school and watch his throwing motion, his accuracy, how comfortable he was in a pocket, and then you go watch Brandon in late 2017 and 2018, or even when he was rolling in 2017, this is a different guy. And I think two years under Mike Stanford hurt him. I, I don't think much of Mike Stanford as a quarterback's coach. I'm sorry. I know that's an unpopular opinion, but I don't. Look at what he did at Utah State. He – Jordan Love went from being a top 10 caliber pick to borderline first round pick in one year of work on Mike Sanford. Look what he did in one year at Tanner Morgan at Minnesota. Minnesota had a really good offense year before. And you come back this year, Tanner Morgan's not nearly the quarterback he was a year before. So either it's just a coincidence that quarterbacks keep getting worse when he coaches them, or he's not good, not a good quarterback's coach. And, and I just don't think he's a good quarterback's coach. Um, why does Indy always recruit so few QBs? Just more and Manning seems ridiculous. There seems to be some great 2023 QBs. Who would you like to see Indy offer and go after? So a couple things. Number one, big part of it is they've just identified guys early and they get them. You know, they got Phil Jakovic early. They got Tyler Buckner early. They got Drew Pine really early. So when you get your guy, you don't need to offer more, more players. There have been other years we've seen them offer more. 2017, what, no, 2019 class, some offer more. They got, you know, they got Cade McNamara early and then offered other players and, and had a little bit of a deeper board before finally getting Brenda Clark. So I think that's part of it. But as far as Moore and Manning, those are the only two guys they've publicly offered, but those aren't the only two quarterbacks they're recruiting. We did an, Brian Smith did an interview with Ricky Collins, who's a quarterback from Louisiana, and Notre Dame has offered him. Uh, there's a kid from out in California that, whose name I cannot pronounce who Notre Dame is recruiting. There's a quarterback from um, named, I think it's Cole Ta I forget his last, it's like Tashner or something like that. I have to go look it up. But I'd love to see them recruit him. But they're recruiting more than two corners or quarterbacks in the 2023 class. So there's just only two that they've offered so far. So don't let that they've only offered two sophomores convince you that, that they're only recruiting two, Jordan. They're actually recruiting. And, and Ricky Collins, when he talked to the guys that I had down at the Atlanta, I think it was the Atlanta camp where he was at, he praised Tommy Reese. He he already has a good relationship with Tommy Reese. So even though he doesn't have an offer, that just tells you there's some other things they got to figure out first before offering him. But they're recruiting him, and 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 they've had an impactful recruit early recruitment of him. I believe he's from Louisiana, so check his film out. But there are other quarterbacks they're recruiting; they just haven't uh, they haven't hit hit the uh, they haven't uh, offered yet. So D Rock, yes, 120 in the chat, only three likes. Hit that like button, folks. We appreciate that.
Chief Brody, is it possible that these 10-2, and 11-2 seasons are all part of the BK plan, stepping stones, and trying to gradually raise the program to the consistent title challenger gather rather than meteoric like LSU? Absolutely. And, and, and look, LSU didn't have a meteoric rise. I mean, they, they had a meteoric rise on offense. But let's not forget the year before that they won the title, they, they went 10-3 and three and finished in the top 10. They beat UCF in a bowl game. You know, the year before that, they were nine and four. They, you know, they beat Notre Dame. They're they're ten and three. I mean, LSU didn't come out of out of nowhere. They had a couple down years, but LSU had plenty of good years in between that. I mean, 2011, 2012, they were borderline national title team. So, you know, look, Brian Kelly is is doing it the right way. I'm always a believer that you you build for sustainability. You don't just win that one title and then you lose everybody and you stink the next year like LSU did this past year, which is a weird situation. What you do is, is you build sustainability and then you helpfully get over that hump. Clemson did that a little bit. You know, Clemson had about three good years of building before, you know, they had that horrible 11, 2011 ending of their season against West Virginia. But before then, I mean, they were, they were starting to close. I mean, the game that they lost to West Virginia where they got embarrassed in the bowl game, it was still the orange bowl. I mean, they were still, a 10 win team went 10 and four that year. So in 2011, they went 10 and four. The next year they went in 2012, they went 11 and two that beat LSU in a bowl game. The next year they went 11 and two beat Ohio state in a bowl game, had a little bit of step back the next year, went 10 and three, got embarrassed by Georgia, lost on the road to Georgia tech, lost to Florida state. And then Deshaun Watson got hurt, but then they went smacked Oklahoma in the bowl game. So they had a four year buildup to, to your point, Jordan or chief Brody, they had that buildup. And then when you have the slower build, it can lead to greater sustainability. So I don't think that it's part of Brian Kelly's plan in that, you know, we're going to do this and then by year five, we're going to win it. It's about creating a stable program. And then when you have that stable program, it leads to greater success on the recruiting trail, which then allows you to take that next step, if that makes sense. So is it part of his plan? Yes. I don't think... I'm advocating for Notre Dame having some meteoric rise out of nowhere. It's about you're close. You're already close. And now it's about making the necessary changes to get over the hump to your point. So I do think it was about getting Notre Dame where it needs to be, but I don't think it was a gradual thing. I mean, look, what I would say is prior to 2017, Notre Dame underachieved a lot. If you go back and look at the games they lost to, lost, and, and, you know, let's just go through it. So, you know, Notre Dame went eight and five in his first year in 2010, and they lost to Tulsa. Shouldn't happen. You know, they, they lost to um, Navy that year. Shouldn't happen. You know, they, they, they blow a game, you know, at Michigan State, they should have won. They, they, they lose to Michigan at home, a game that they should not have lost. I mean, there were a lot of games that they were, they were building their program, but, you know, that was a, to me, a, 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 I'll give them a pass, but, you know, you, you shouldn't go eight and five. The next year, they went eight and five again with guys like Zach Martin, Tyler Eifert, Michael Floyd, Harrison Smith on the team. Why? They lost to South Florida that year. South Florida went five and seven that year. Uh, there's no excuse for that. They blow a 24 to seven fourth quarter lead against Michigan. You know, they, they choke a game away against Florida State. They shouldn't have lost. They, you, you, South Carolina whooped them. That's not a game they should have lost. You know, so, so underachieving seasons, 2013, they go nine and four. And they, they lost a game to Pitt, a blue lead at Pitt. They lost to Stanford in a game they should have won. You win one of those games, you're a 10-win team. 2014, they lost a home to Northwestern. They lost a home to Louisville. You know, they, they blew a – they just choked against Arizona State. So so my point is, 
I think what's happened now is he's just made some better hires and, and, and they've made some changes, but I think it's the, it's more about the hires, you know, instead of hiring, you know, keeping Paul Longo, you hire Matt Bayless, instead of hiring Brian Van Gorder, you, you go out and you get Mike Elko and then, and then Clark Lee and now Marcus Freeman. I think that's been a big part of it. offensively. It's about, you know, you get higher. He stamp that changes things. And then, you know, Mike Dembrock did a great job and then Chip Long takes it to the next level, but they're not where they need to be yet. You need to find the guy on offense or at least a philosophy on offense that allow you to make the jump. Because let's not forget, Brian Kelly's made two, three big philosophical, two big philosophical changes at Notre Dame. You begin with the three, four, and then he makes the move to a four down defense under Van Gorder. That was a big philosophy shift. And then there was another pretty big philosophy shift from Van Gorder to the Mike Elko defense. And so, He's done those things. Now it's time to do that on offense. John uh, Zabrowski asks, when you listen to Brian Kelly's press conferences, do you get the sense that the co- that Coach Kelly's answers about quarterback and O-line are, are a result of his insistence on, on insistence on following the process he harps on? Yeah, I mean, Brian Kelly is a political animal, and I don't mean that as an insulting manner. It's it's He has a plan in place, and this is back to the earlier question of his, of his greatest asset is, he knows what he's trying to accomplish big picture with his program and everything in his answers is going to be geared towards that. I think an example is the question I asked him about, I asked him a, a question about, you know, building your identity or something along those lines. And he completely changed the direction and answered it a different way because he had a point he wanted to get out. And that was the closest question that he had to getting that point out. He's always been very good about that. So yes, I think it's very much about the process and I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with the process. I just think sometimes, Get to the point where you got to start settling in on some decisions at, at wide, especially about wide receiver, in regards to settling in, and I mean offensive line settling in, get guys in position they get comfortable, and, and go from there. All right, Bryce uh, asks, will you guys be at the spring game doing coverage, or do I have to watch it on Peacock? We'll be at the spring game doing coverage, but we won't be able to play it because we don't have rights to it. You'll have to watch it on Peacock. I'm trying to find out. I believe that it's you're still going. You don't have to have Peacock paid for to watch it i think as what somebody told me i'm gonna have to to uh to work on that one so we'll have to see about that all right so you have any more questions um trey guy uh thanks so much for the show it's really great thank you trey for listening uh he also has a question what are the holes as we are more than halfway through spring on offense and defense i think the holes are you're still trying to figure out who's going to play where on the offensive line i think that's obviously right now if, if you had to go play a game on saturday right now you would not feel comfortable about where you're on the offensive line and, and defensively it's about the corner position still trying to settle in on who's going to be uh your cornerbacks but i think i'd feel a lot more comfortable uh, with the defense being able to play well on Saturday. If Notre Dame had a real game on Saturday, I'd feel a lot better about the defense and I'd feel good about the skill players and whoever they decided to start at, at quarterback, I'd feel comfortable with. I, I really am like, I think Jack Cohn's going to win the job. I think Jack Cohn probably has the highest ceiling for 2021. Uh, but if Drew Pine beats him out, cool. I'm, I, I hope every Notre Dame ha- has an opinion. I know every Notre Dame fan, you pick your the guys you want. You know, I like this guy more, that guy more. And I'm not talking about you, Trey, just in general. But honestly, whoever starts a quarterback this year is going to win the job and is going to give them the best chance to win and has the talent to win. So if it's Jack Cohn, get behind him because he's good enough to do it. If it's Drew Pine, it means he beat out a pretty good quarterback who took a team to a Big Ten title game and took a team to a Rose Bowl. Get behind him because I think they're both very, very talented players and, and could get there. Jay Wolf, this is an interesting one. So Michael Mayer eventually triumphs over Ken McAfee, Tyler Eifert to take the all-time tight end great throne. Um, 
again, like it's way too early for that. Does he have the talent to do that? Sure. But let's let him have a sophomore year before we, before we, we put him into that. But yes, he has the absolute talent to be that kind of player where you're talking about, is he one of the best to ever do it? Sure. He's already had the best freshman season, but it's in a different era. Is it possible he could match the third place Heisman finish the Ken Mack if he produced? No, I don't. The, and that has nothing to do with him. It's the Heisman trophy is way different now. It is basically the best quarterback or running back slash receiver on the, one of the best teams. That's what it's come down to. And it's for the most part, a, a quarterback award. Now I don't care how good you are at tight end. You know, look, if he's having a great year at tight end, then, you know, who's going to be the guy that gets all the hype for the Heisman? It's going to be whoever the quarterback is at Notre Dame. If Notre Dame's good enough to where a tight end should get that kind of conversation, then it's going to go to the quarterback. That's just the nature of it, unfortunately. Uh, Jonathan, love your content at Irish Breakdown. I always appreciate your perspective. Did we make a mistake in not landing Joe Moorhead as our offensive coordinator? So two-part answer to this, and – the answer is yes. For 2020, yes, they made a mistake. In my opinion, this team would have been better in 2020 with Joe Moorhead as the offensive coordinator. I think Tommy Reese would have benefited greatly from working under Joe Moorhead as the offensive as an offensive coordinator. Having said that, I don't think it'll be a mistake for a whole lot longer if Brian Kelly allows Tommy Reese to kind of take more control of the offense. I think that my issue with that hire was in 2020 and possibly 2021, it's going to hurt the program. But I also felt like if you brought Joe Moorhead in, Joe Moorhead wasn't going to be here very long. If he has two great years and he's the coordinator that we think he is, then then he's going to be gone in a couple of years to be a head coach again, right? I think we can all agree on that. And that's when Tommy Reese would have gladly stepped in at the age of 30, 31, and I would have said, great, great hire. I like it. He just needed more seasoning. Well, now that seasoning is happening kind of under the gun as the offensive coordinator, and that's going to benefit him as he gets into be a 30, 31, 32-year-old guy. And so in those instances, Jonathan, yes, I think it, it's going to benefit him down the road. It was a mistake not to hire him immediately, but I don't think it's going to be a long-term mistake because I don't view this as like a Brian Van Gorder hire. I think Tommy Reese is going to be a really, really good coordinator. It just he wasn't ready to be that yet. But maybe this year we start to see him take those steps, and then by 2022 you start saying, hey – you know what? This is going to really benefit this team. And that's when it could be a benefit that they didn't have him. Uh, so so I think that then you could say, okay, taking your lumps in 2021 benefited Notre Dame because now he's a seasoned guy as you get into that 22 and 23 schedule. Whereas if Joe Moore had came and Tommy Reese replaced him after two years, now all of a sudden it's first year is 2022 when you're playing Ohio State and Clemson. I don't know if that would have been such a great thing. Uh, John A1, Irish Breakdown is the best insider for Notre Dame football by far. Appreciate that. Thank you, and keep up the exit content. You know for a fact, John, that we will definitely continue to do that. We will definitely continue to keep up uh, our content. Let's see here. Okay. A lot of great questions this week, y'all. I really appreciate that. And and the people that are still sticking with it, you, you are awesome. You are You are certainly troopers. Robert asks, would you rather have more noon or 1 p.m. games instead of 3.30 and night games? I kind of like the 3.30 and the night games for me because, number one, selfishly, the the 3.30 and night games allow me to spend some time with my wife in the morning. I, we, I, we get to make, I get to make her breakfast, and we get to spend a little time before I go to the stadium. And in p- previous years before 2020 and, and the whole limiting access and all that, 
we would go to games together. She does photography. She would do photography for, for our games when I was at Blue and Gold Illustrated. She had, I think, like four or five cover photos for our magazine. So, but, you know, it's work time then. And so selfishly, I, I kind of like it. Plus, the 3.30 night games allows me to watch a lot more football. Whereas if they played at noon or one, then the only games I can really watch are the night games. Where and even then, sometimes I can't. If it's a road game, I don't get to watch any football that day because we have the game. I do all my work, and then I'm heading back to the hotel to write and get ready to fly back home. So I kind of like the three thirty in the night games, um, personally. But I I know a lot of people like to play early, especially people in the Midwest who are used to the big Big Ten games being in the in the uh, in there too. So um, Rob Wicks, who could be the number one receiver for the Irish? I think they have a lot of candidates. Kevin Austin has the talent to be that. Well, I don't know if he's going to do it or not. Jordan Johnson does. I think Avery, Avery Davis does in, in a different way, maybe not from a 90-catch volume standpoint, but as far as the go-to guy in clutch moments, absolutely. I think Xavier Watts has that kind of talent. Uh, I think I think guys like Braden Lindsey and Lawrence Keyes are more complementary players, but impactful complementary players, so not number ones, but key parts of a component. Uh, do you think that Justin Hilliard recruitment kind of hurt BK's recruiting pride? So to say, uh, a possible reason that he hasn't been very, such an active recruiter since I don't think he was a very active recruiter before that Thomas. And I don't think losing Justin Hilliard hurt his pride. You know, it's a, it's a loss. They've had other losses. I just think he puts a priority on other things for him personally on, on what to do. I think that's kind of, that's kind of part of it. Connor Patton, will Notre Dame be able to stay out of politics this year? Notre Dame football be able, be able to stay out of politics this year? No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, nope, I don't think they will. I hope so, because I hope there's no real big political things to, to have to deal with. And, uh, you know, so hopefully that that's the case. But no, I, I think if things happen, they will get involved. It's too it's too easy to get involved from a social media standpoint to do it. And I just I just think that they will. All right. Jordan asks, uh, is Notre Dame running RPOs this spring? Yes. What do you think triggered the change? Getting whooped by Alabama and your offense getting completely dominated in uh, in games against Clemson and, and Alabama. That's one thing Coach has done. When he gets embarrassed, he's more often than not, he's made changes. And he was able to make excuses in 2018. A lot of new players in the lineup. They lost a lot from the year before. Missed some opportunities. Maybe he didn't think they had enough playmakers, whatever. There's no excuse in in what we saw this year and what happened. Uh, and now that's three butt whoopings. I mean, look, Notre Dame's last three losses were all blowouts. You go back to Michigan in 2019. You go back to the Clemson game, the ACC title game, and then the Alabama game. They're all blowouts. They were games Notre Dame wasn't really competitive. In each instance, the offense was bad. Now, the defense was bad. Everybody was bad against Michigan. But the defense didn't play bad against Clemson and, and and Alabama in those losses. The offense did. And I think he understands that it's time to it's time to get that part of the ball going. Uh Jordan Schreiber, did Chip Long and Tom Reese have a good relationship? Do you think Reese picked up on Long's elite recruiting habits? From everything I've heard, yes, they had not only had a good relationship, but still have a good relationship. And I do think Tommy Reese learned some things from him. And, and I, I think they worked well together. So yes, I I Think you're onto something there, Jordan. Brandon, thank you for the super. All you all that are giving these these uh, these super chat donations, appreciate it so much. This is awesome. This is the kind of stuff that helps us really grow this thing. Um, thanks for going through these questions, indulging us. Love it. Glad you branched out on your own. You're always my favorite person in the biz to listen to. Look, I, Brandon, I I know my personality. I know um, 
my strengths as a person. I know my weaknesses and I also know what I'm not going to change. And what I'm not going to change is I'm going to have very strong opinions about things. And when I think something can be done a certain way, and I'm going to say it, and that's not just about Notre Dame. That's also about how businesses should be run. And, and I appreciate the opportunities that Mike Frank gave me at Irish break at Irish sports daily back Irish eyes. I appreciate the opportunity that Stu Coleman gave me at blue and gold illustrated. And both of them helped me to grow and develop in different ways. But I was ready to do my own thing and I was ready to be my own boss and to say, Hey, if you think these things can work, then go try it. I didn't anticipate a few months afterwards, a pandemic hitting, but it's been a good experience for me and I've enjoyed it. And I'm so glad. I mean, we've grown every single month has been much significantly better than what it was a year ago. And that kind of growth has been a lot of fun to see it happen, to see it happen organically, to grow the YouTube channel. I mean, so over a hundred people in this chat the whole time. I mean, it just, I never, I thought maybe 10 people would show up. So it's been a lot of fun. Appreciate y'all being a part of it. But the reality is I could write what I want to write and say what I want to say. But if y'all aren't part of the community, y'all aren't building it. Y'all aren't being there with us. It doesn't matter. I'm a guy that has strong opinions that nobody listens to. It's you guys and you gals that, that make this really fun because otherwise I'm just talking to myself and that wouldn't be that much fun. All right. What are you hearing about the battle at Will linebackers? Maris Lufau leading right now. Um, I've, I've heard Shane Simon's leading right now. And, and Maris is playing a lot and doing well, but I've heard Shane Simon is having a very, very good spring so far. Uh, Jonathan asks, is the future Buckner or Pine? What's your way too early take? I don't know. I mean, look, Tyler Buckner has the highest ceiling of any quarterback on the roster. And even if he doesn't become the passer, I think he could be because of the changes he's made mechanically. He's still a dynamic athlete that can make a lot of, and we're seeing it in the highlights where he'll tuck and run and, and make big plays. He is a dynamic two-way player. He has the highest ceiling, but but he's going to have to beat out Drew Pine, and, and that's not going to be easy. And, and some people weren't as high on Pine as I think they should have been. Drew Pine's a darn good football player. He's smart. He's accurate. He can make plays as well with his arm, and he's a, a mobile enough where he can move the chains on a third and five kind of thing. But I still say Tyler Buckner has the highest ceiling. But to be the future, it's not just about talent. You got to win that job. And, and he's still a ways away from that. It's, look, this is why I wrote before spring started. I wrote an article saying Tyler Buckner has a tremendous talent, but patience is needed. I, I, you can look it up. Type in Tyler Buckner, patience, and then Irish Breakdown or Brian Driscoll. And you're going to see that article come up because this is a kid that's played one year of football in the last three years. He's got a lot to learn. And we just we just need to have some patience patience with us. So, um, all right, some other questions here. I'm going to try to get to some of these. All right, Christopher, yes. I know a lot of your comments and questions we haven't really got to because I'm trying to get into that kind of stuff. Uh, I We'll see. We'll see what CJ Williams. But this one, it's great that ND insiders at, at Irish Breakdown have regular Q&A sessions with fans hungry for info like me. We're going to keep doing it. This is fun for me. Like we're talking two and a half hours now. It's insane. Two and a half hours. And I still got a lot of questions to get to, uh, but I, I love it. I enjoy it. This is a lot of fun because as Vince and I have said, we're Notre Dame fans too, right? I'm always going to be objective and honest and, and tell it like it is and, and try to be as professional as I can and how I write. But deep down, I'm a Notre Dame fan. And so, you know, we're sitting here doing this, talking Notre Dame football. I love it. I love doing this kind of stuff. And Vince and I are working on, figuring out what our schedule can be to where we can start doing this stuff more often. Cause this is a lot of fun. Uh, Mark says, love all the work you do. Keep up the excellent work. Appreciate that very much. Stuff like that really helps us 
be encouraged to, to, to work the hours and do the work that we're doing. Do you see any scenario in the upcoming years where the QB calls the offense from the line? Best examples, Peyton Manning, not in college. You're going to see it some, I mean, you already see it some, but not in college. No, I don't, I don't think that's the case. Now what we do see from quarterbacks already, Alabama's done this. I believe Oklahoma does this is as part of your OP, RPO package, you're going to give the quarterback certain um, freedoms to say, Hey, this is the route that you check the RPO to. So for example, you have a receiver backside and you're running a, you know, a gap, you know, a, a, I mean, a buck sweep play where you're going to read the end and the out, you know, the linebacker and, and to pull and throw outside or handoff. Okay. So you look out and you see, okay, what's, what's the window look like? So that means is, is there a linebacker or a safety between the tackle and the receiver off the ball? If not, that's considered an open window. That's step one. Step two is where's the corner? So you look at that window and you say, okay, the corner's off. It's an open window. I'm giving them a quick out or a hitch, right? Hit that. Or it's a situation where you know, you're getting press covered, so you may give them a slant route. Or you may say, hey, you know, we're seeing cover two. Let's bang a, a corner or bang a deep end or something. You can check that route to him based on what you've done in the pregame study as you break down the film. So you're going to say, hey, look, against this, we want to give them these two route options. Against this, we want to give them this route option. Against that, we want to tell them to do this. I think you need to have that. You need, to, Or it can be just like a screen. You have you give them a check, some kind of signal that let them know what route he's going to run. It could be a screen, depending on how the defense is lined up. We're already seeing that. Steve Sarkeesian allowed his quarterbacks to do that at, at Alabama. I believe Oklahoma has that freedom as well, although I'm not 100% sure on that. But I, I believe I've heard Lincoln Riley talk about that where he allows it. So I think we'll see things like that, Mark where quarterbacks have certain freedoms within the RPO. And that's what I think is another good thing about the RPOs is because you're just telling one or two guys what to do. You're not checking from we had power called and we're going to check to our smash concept or or you're just calling plays. It's We're calling the plays and then you got to make sure that you get us right with your checks. And I think the RPO allows it to be a lot. It's a lot easier for the quarterback to get right because it's just a, a check of a route. All right, Oscar. Castaneda says, man, I really enjoy the show and your take on three-star talent versus guys that have high ceilings. Appreciate that. I do have concerns on the receiving recruitment. Just seems nonchalant by the coaches. I think that's a very fair concern. I will say that over the last two to three weeks to a month, we're seeing them be more involved. And look, this is something we've talked about at this channel is I'm going to call them like I see them. When the coaches aren't getting the job done, I'm going to say it. The last month or so, led by Coach Reese, we're seeing the offense get more engaged. We're seeing Dell Alexander be more engaged. We're seeing Brian Kelly more involved. And those are positive signs. And look what's happening. TJ Williams was a guy that Notre Dame, people covering Notre Dame weren't talking about a month ago. Now he's visiting, and some people think they're going to get him. Christopher doesn't, but I, I understand it because Notre Dame doesn't have a lot of success in modern day. But now all of a sudden they're doing it. Well, why? Because they're picking it back up. They're getting more involved with them. Um, and, and to me, so yeah, it's, it's not nonchalant. It's not that it's just, it hasn't been the priority that it needed to be in certain coaches. And I'm not talking about coach Reese here, but certain coaches were not engaging with the, the fervor and the frequency in which they need to engage in recruiting. But I think that's starting to get corrected. Corey Dickerson. Yes. You did miss the safety position this spring in progress. Oh no, we didn't talk about the the safeties in, in the spring. Um, Corey, I thought you were talking about recruiting. We have a lot of recruiting questions. I think it's been a good spring for the safeties, mainly because I think Houston Griffith has really stepped up. And from everything I'm hearing, Houston is just, he's taken over. He's their best safety right now. Keeping in mind, Kyle Hamilton's not practicing. 
The other good thing is every time you see a big play made on defense, the first guy to run out, jump up and down is Kyle Hamilton. So clearly he's healthy, it healthier, and he's going to be fine. But I think Houston's had a, a really good spring, a really big spring, and that is important. I think DJ Brown is is solid, but he's we're also seeing his limitations. He's just not a guy that's going to be great in coverage, but he's smart. He can come downhill. And when Houston steps up, now you put DJ in that third role, and that worked better. And I think Justin Walters is having a good spring, too, from what I'm told. Uh, not just from what we're seeing on film, but, you know, it's for a freshman. He's doing well, too. Brandon asks, how is the nickel position different from boundary and field? What traits make a good nickel prospect and who he who is Indy in the mix with that could play that position? So I think Jaden Mickey can play it. I think Jair Brown can play it. I think Devin Moore could play it. Uh, but basically, the nickel position is different from boundary and field. A couple reasons. Number one is you're tighter to the box. So there's going to be a, a greater run component. The, the run is going to be coming at you a lot quicker. You're going to have to be responsible for, for closing in and filling inside on runs more than a, a boundary or field boundary at times, but especially more than a field guy. Uh, you're going to, everything happens quicker the closer you are to the ball. So slant routes happen quicker. Quick game happens quicker because the quarterback can catch and just get it out right now as opposed to an outside slant, which you know takes a little bit more, let things clear inside of it before you hit that outside slant. An inside slant is catch, blitz, throw behind it. Those things happen quick. The slightest misstep from a from a slot guy, and you're beat. Um, there's it's a lot more. There's a lot more need f- to be precise with your leverage. So if you're taking away the inside, the outside, you know those type of things can happen quickly. You got to be real precise. Um, the other th- part of it too is the nickel tends to have more protection. And, and what I mean by that is you have inside linebackers protecting you. You have a safety closer. It's a lot easier for a free safety to protect the nickel getting beat up the seam than it is for him to protect the outside guy. Plus, if you're playing cover three and it's a vertical concept, you can be more aggressive rerouting because not only do you have the safety playing in the middle of the field, but a lot of teams when they play, especially like cover three with a single high safety, those corners are actually going to play their deep third from an inside angle to where they can then you know, kind of wind out and play the ball, but they can really squeeze inside and take the seam route. That's something that did not happen when Alohi Gilman against Clemson in 2018, when it looked like Alohi got beat. Well, Alohi was expecting the corner to squeeze inside and help protect that from the outside. It didn't happen. And so a, a slot guy will have a lot more uh, help in that regards too. But just you have to be a quick reaction guy and a physical guy because things happen so quick. And because you're going to be taking on a lot more, you're going to get running backs leading on you, tight ends leading on you. Those things happen quickly. You're just not going to get that as much at those outside positions. Let's see here. Uh, just going to skip a few, a couple. Just have too much. We're, we're going so long. I appreciate you all being here, but I'm just going to try to get a, a, a few more questions here. Notre Dame 2164. Does Chris Tyree have a higher ceiling than Kyron Williams? It depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for a guy that carry the ball 20 times a game, no, I don't think he does. Uh, if you're looking for a guy that can be a, a game breaker, then yes, he does. And, and that's the thing we have to understand is Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree are not cookie cutters of each other. They're very different backs. And that's a good thing because that means they can be used in a complementary fashion more impressively. And you, you look at things and say, well, you know, which quarterback is better than who going in the 2020 NFL, 2021 NFL draft? Well, what offense are you running? I mean, those things have to be taken into consideration. You know, hey, this team needs a running back, so who who do you want? Well, what type of running back do you need? Do you need a guy that can catch the ball? Do you need a guy that can carry the ball 20 times? Are you looking for a third down back and every down back? 
what system do you run? Are you going to be running in a lot of outside zones? Are you a team that wants to hammer between the tackles? And the answer to those questions are going to determine which back better fits you. So that that's a part of it too. But if you're looking for a back that can kind of do the dirty work, then then Kyron Williams has a higher ceiling. If you're looking for a guy that's more of a a modern running back in that he can catch it, he can run it, and he can do more damage with fewer touches, then that's going to be Chris Tyree, in my opinion, because he's a home run hitter. Kyron's a very good back, but Chris Tyree's more of a home run hitter. So it just uh, depends on what you're looking for. My hope is that in 2021, 20, the Notre Dame uses both of them to their strengths, and that's what gets me so excited about uh, about what this group can be. Um, Brandon, you asked this, uh, have you broken down any tape of 2023 prospect Ricky Collins? If so, thoughts? Notre Dame has been looking him pretty hard from what I've read. Yes, we talked about this earlier uh, in a question about, you know, is Notre Dame only recruiting, recruiting two corners? I have not watched film of Ricky Collins yet, so I haven't written about him yet. I've seen some highlights. I've seen some camp film, uh, and and I've talked to people who've seen him at camps. He's a, a good sized kid, good athlete, slings it, and I, I I like how he throws it. I just haven't seen game film to see how he's going through progressions, how he makes his reads, and those kind of things. But from what I saw at camp, he's an interesting player and and a guy that I'm going to certainly I'm hoping in the next week or two I can get to a 2023 sort of early look at quarterbacks, but it's going to require me to get through film to see it. He's a guy that's near the top of my list, as is that kid from California. Um, I think it's Nico something. I can't pronounce his last name. Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to see if there's any more questions. Um, I don't see. Uh, we have a lot more questions. If I didn't get to your question today, I'm sorry. There's about 10 or 12 questions I'm just not going to get to. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, but we, we got to wrap it up. We're getting to We're getting to sort of the end of this. And I got some stuff I got to get to. And, and I know that this has gone on long. Maybe we're going to do a, maybe early next week, we'll do a, a, a Q and a, cause there's so many, so many uh, questions. And by the way, Drew Pine is not five ten. He is absolutely six feet tall. Uh, I have been next to Drew Pine. He is taller than that. Um, Tracy, thanks for being on it. Everybody. Yeah. That's the last name of the kid from California who I cannot pronounce. Uh, everybody appreciate y'all so much for being with us. I mean, we're still here two and a half hours in still over hundred people. This is so awesome. Appreciate y'all being with us. Um, I'm going to try to get in another, another one here soon. We're going to, we're working on a schedule to, to see how it works to try to have, you know, five, six live shows a week, mixing up the content. Sometimes we may talk draft before the draft. Sometimes we may talk team. Sometimes we may talk recruiting. Sometimes I'm, I'm going to definitely start that film thing at, at night uh, where we'll just kind of watch through film and, and go through it. And uh, just, you know, I'll break down the film and then at the, at the end we can talk, we can have questions and sing, things like that. So I appreciate y'all being a part of it. the people that, that gave us uh, some, some super chats, super appreciate that big time. No pun intended. Uh, really appreciate y'all support, not just with your time, with your finances. I mean, those are all amazing things and, and we didn't ask you for it and you still gave it. It's really, really appreciative. So um, everybody, thanks for joining us. Have an awesome weekend. Uh, my wife's out of town, so I get a, you know, probably not eat as well as I probably should, uh, get a hangout and, uh, and watch some football up on the big TV upstairs since she's not going to be up there, but, uh, uh, pray that she has safe travels. Y'all have a great weekend. The weather's getting nicer. If you're out on the road, be safe, have fun, talk Notre Dame football, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the notification bell, subscribe to our podcast, wherever you get your podcast. And of course, as always check out irishbreakdown.com. So for Vince, I'm Brian. We'll talk to you all again very, very soon. And yes, like Notre Dame 2164 says, everyone hit the like button.
Have a great weekend, everybody. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.